Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The Internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com For soldiers in war zones, genital injuries are a real risk. Now, one veteran has received the world's first total penis and scrotum transplant. Doctors at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore in the U.S. performed the operation. They say the soldiers should eventually be able to regain sexual function, which is impossible with penis reconstructions. The BBC's Sophie Eastor told Nick Miles more. The transplant was received by a military veteran and he lost his entire genital area when he was serving in Afghanistan and he was hit by a blast from an improvised explosive device. Now, the surgery itself was actually 14 hours. It involved nine plastic surgeons, two urological surgeons. A couple of successful penis transplants have already taken place, but this was much more than that. This was a complete transplant of the penis, the scrotum, the tissue around it and part of the abdominal wall, all given by a deceased donor. And as you can imagine, it was a very complicated procedure. Arteries that bring the blood to this area uh, had to be studied in the anatomy lab to determine exactly what arteries we would have to bring with us. And it ended up being that we needed multiple arteries and multiple veins. That was the most challenging thing to plan the surgery. As far as the surgery itself being conducted, the hardest thing technically to do is perform the, the connection of the arteries because they were quite small. That was Dr. Rick Reddit, who was one of the doctors performing the surgery. It took place just under a month ago, and the good news is that the surgeons are saying it's been a big success. He's set to be discharged this week, and of course, it is early days. He'll take a long time to recover, but the doctors are hopeful that he'll gain full sexual and urinary function, which, of course, is a pretty incredible thing. 
Now, Sophie, how common is this type of injury? Well, we've only got figures from US soldiers, but sadly, they've been quite a prevalent injury from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So between 2001 and 2013, more than 1,300 US veterans in those two conflicts lost all or part of their genitals, mostly due to homemade bombs. Of course, bearing in mind that these are young men with their whole sexual and reproductive lives ahead of them, these are devastating consequences. And it's unsurprising that this becomes one of the biggest fears for for soldiers going to war. And the patient in this case gave a statement describing the injury as mind-boggling and difficult to accept. He said that when he woke up after the operation, he finally felt more normal. Sophie Eastall. From my heart and from my head, why don't people understand my intentions? Killer robots have been a staple of TV and movies for decades, from Westworld to The Terminator. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it absolutely will not stop, ever, until you are dead. In the real world, killer robots are officially known as autonomous weapons. At the Pentagon, Paul Shari helped create the U.S. policy for autonomous weapons, and now he has a new book out called Army of None, Autonomous Weapons and the Future of War, and Paul Shari is our guest on this week's All Tech Considered. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I defined an autonomous weapon as a killer robot. Can you give us a better definition? Yeah, I probably wouldn't use language quite that uh, sensational, but okay. it captures you know it captures the essence of the idea. We're talking about a weapon that could go out on its own and make its own decisions about who to kill on the battlefield. Do they exist today? You know, in some crude forms, a little bit. There are at least 30 countries that have autonomous weapons that are supervised by humans for defensive purposes, things that would target incoming missiles and shoot them down entirely on their own. Now, humans are sitting there at the console. They could turn it off if they need to. But in a simple way, those are autonomous weapons. So if people decided they wanted to race towards autonomous weapons as fast as they could, they wouldn't have far to run. Well, the technology is taking them there really whether they like it or not. Things like more advanced hobby drones, the same technology that will go into self-driving cars, all of those sensors and intelligence will make autonomous weapons also possible. So this is not a debate over whether we should create these technologies. The technologies are already created. Right. The, the debate really is, what do we do with this? Do we, do we build these? Do we build weaponized versions of them? Do you build them en masse? Do militaries invest in this and take warfare to a whole new domain? a domain of warfare where humans have less control over what happens on the battlefield. And these debates are not only happening in the United States and Western democracies. These debates are happening in autocratic countries, in highly isolated countries, in countries that have violated international norms repeatedly. Right. I mean, Russia is building a fleet of armed ground robots for war on the plains of Europe. And Russian generals have talked about a vision in the future of fully roboticized units that are independently conducting operations. So other countries are leaning hard into this technology. So if people listening are starting to get worried, let me just assure them it gets worse. <laughs> you describe a lot of terrifying scenarios. One of them is what you call a flash war, which is sort of like the flash crash that happened in the stock market partially as a result of automated trading. What is a flash war? 
Well, just as we've seen an arms race in speed in stock trading, where stock trading now has moved to time speeds in milliseconds, where humans cannot possibly be engaged and compete, the fear is that we'd see something similar in warfare, where countries automate decisions on the battlefield, taking humans out of the loop because there's an advantage in speed. But just like we've seen accidents in stock trading, where algorithms are interacting in surprising ways and you get things like flash crashes, the worry is that you get an equivalent, a flash war, where algorithms interact in some way and the robots start shooting each other and running amok, um, and then humans are scrambling to put a lid back on it. You also raise the possibility that autonomous weapons could save lives because machines wouldn't make the same mistakes that people make. Explain that. Well, that's, that's certainly one of the arguments um, against a ban or people even arguing in favor of building these weapons. And I'd compare them to looking at cars. Um, just like self-driving cars could someday make the roads much safer, some people have argued, well, maybe autonomous weapons could be more precise and more humane by avoiding civilian casualties in war and only killing the enemy. You also served in the U.S. military. You have fought in wars. And you describe instances where you could legally have used lethal force and killed a person, but you understood that that would not have been the right choice in that scenario. Tell us about one of those instances, and, and I wonder what an autonomous weapon would have done had it been in your shoes. It was an incident early in the wars in Afghanistan where we were up on a, a mountaintop in eastern Afghanistan near the Pakistan border. I was part of a ranger sniper team, and a little girl came along and was scouting out our position. And we watched the girl... She watched us. After a while, she left. And soon after, some Taliban fighters came. And we, we took care of them. And uh, later, we talked about, you know, what would we do if we were in a similar situation? Something that never came up was shooting this girl. No one discussed it. No one. It would have been wrong. Even though the Taliban was using her as a scout and it would have been legal. Well, and here's the thing. The laws of war do not set an age for combatants. It's based on your actions. And if you're scouting for the enemy, you're participating in hostilities. So an autonomous weapon that was designed to obey the laws of war would have shot this little girl. So there, there is an important difference between what is legal and what is right. And that is one of the, the concerns that people raise about autonomous weapons is a lack of ability to feel empathy and to engage in mercy in war. And that if we built these weapons, they would take away a powerful restraint in warfare that humans have. So how do we make sure this doesn't happen? Well, there are a number of people who've called for a, an international treaty that would ban autonomous weapons. There have been conversations underway at the United Nations for five years now, but progress is moving very slowly diplomatically. Meanwhile, the technology keeps racing forward. And we've seen Syria violate international treaties. We've seen North Korea violate international treaties. Even if there were an international treaty like this, what guarantee would there be that some country wouldn't see that as a, an opportunity to get ahead of the pack? Well, that is exactly one of the objections against a treaty. These treaties only really constrain countries who care about the laws of war in the first place. And so a treaty that took away powerful weapons from the most law-abiding nations and then only gave them effectively to rogue states would hardly be in anyone's interest. So I ask this only half in jest. Are we doomed? I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things that the book really wrestles with is, is this inevitable? Do we control our technology or does our technology control us? Well, that does kind of dodge the question. <laughs> are we doomed? <laughs> um, 
you know, one of the things I've walked through in the end of the book is, all right, what are some options going forward? Um, I think there are there are ways to think about uh, narrower regulations that might be more feasible to avert some of the most uh, harmful consequences, maybe a, a more narrow ban on weapons that target people. And, and there has been some discussions underway internationally in trying to frame, reframe the issue and think about what is the role of humans in warfare? So if we had all the technology in the world what role would we want people to play in war and why? Um, I think that's a valuable conversation to have. And, you know, we do have the opportunity to shape how we use technology. Um, we're not at the mercy of it. The problem at the end of the day isn't the technology. It's getting humans to cooperate together on how we use the technology and make sure that we're using it for good and not for harm. Paul Shari's new book is called Army of None, Autonomous Weapons, and the Future of War. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Look what they did to Martin Luther, bullet holes in our kings. And they wonder why we never believe. And they wonder why we never believe, nigga, we poor. Young niggas worn about that corner store, but the chinks on that. And you claiming that's your block, who you think on that? Quick sand in the hood and we gon' sink on that. You should think on that. Poison water out in Flint. They let them little babies drink on that. They don't care about us. Four years ago this week, Flint, Michigan's water source was switched from the Detroit River over to the Flint River. Brown, smelly water started coming out of faucets in people's homes. Leanne Walters is the mother of four, and at the time, all of her kids got sick because of the water. She decided to do something about it. Walters teamed up with scientists, and they tested water samples, got data that would ultimately force officials to act. Four years on, she says things are not back to normal. Are people drinking the tap water right now? Absolutely not. Huh. What does it look like? Some people are complaining about cloudiness. We're not seeing the discoloration that we were seeing before. But the grave concern is the fact that they're having a hard time maintaining chlorine levels. You know, that puts us at risk for bacteria, especially with the warmer weather coming upon us. Hmm. Can you tell us about the research that you're doing right now? Well, the research that we're doing right now is that we are trying to get policies changed. And coming this summer, we were given a grant, the U.S. Water Study Grant. So we're going to start testing across the United States in communities that have reached out to us. So we're going to go in and try and teach them to do what we did in Flint. And then this way we can see if it, yes, it is their water or no, maybe it's something else in their environment. So what are you teaching these other communities? You say the lessons learned in Flint can help other cities and municipalities figure out their own levels of water safety. What do you teach them? You know, we're trying to inspire people to take some of the work on themselves to protect themselves and do citizen scientist work. We're also trying to, you know, help bridge that gap between academia and everyday residents because with everybody working together, we're going to get so much more accomplished. I understand that you are talking now with national officials, including officials from the EPA, about changes you want to see made. Can you give us the specifics of what you're lobbying for? What we have been lobbying for since everything that happened in Flint is to have the lead and copper rule changed. Explain what that is. So the lead and copper rule is a test that is done testing for lead in water. And instead of doing that, they are actually cheating and using loopholes to hide and minimize the lead. I want to change the rule so that the loopholes that are in the system that are not illegal are eliminated so that this way we are testing in accordance to the way the law was written so that we don't have any more future flints. So you've been lobbying the EPA to make this change to get rid of these loopholes. What was their response? 
The initial response at the height of the Flint water crisis was that we would see changes in the lead and copper rule as early as January, February 2018. That got shifted to where it's going to be sometime in 2019. And then more recently, they now have no timeline for us. So what kind of red flags does that raise for you? Huge red flags. We don't want this to be a forgotten thing. We can't let this fall off the map after what's happened. If you're talking to the national, at the national level, you're talking to the EPA, you're trying to motivate citizens to take more responsibility for testing their own water. What is the role of local government to make sure something like this doesn't happen again? Uh, That's a very good question. They should be just as informed and concerned about how the water is being tested. They get told by their Department of Environmental Quality how to do the testing But these people should know what the law is, what the rules are for this, and be able to raise red flags. Leanne Walters, she just won the Goldman Environmental Prize for her efforts to expose the toxic water crisis in Flint, Michigan. Thank you so much for talking with us. Well, thank you for having me on. Do you regret anything that you said about Cleveland? Not at all. Do you like it? Do you think Cleveland's cool? I mean, I never heard anybody say, I'm going to Cleveland on vacation. What's so good about Cleveland? Parents in Cleveland County are pretty upset, saying that a teacher forced elementary school students to listen to an offensive song. The song, Oh Susanna, was a popular children's song in the past, but it is about slavery. Eyewitness reporter Ken Lemon spoke to families about the changes they want to see. I think it was very offensive and very uncomfortable. Ninth grader Harmony Washington was in the class at Washington Elementary School when the song was played last week. I thought it was just coming directly like toward my colored people in the room. The lyrics in the song not only mentioned the N-word, it talked about killing 500 black people. She and others told their parents and their pastor at Washington Missionary Baptist Church right next door. He was stunned by the lyrics. To look for Susiana, and if I don't find her, that darky has to die. And that's appropriate. He said the teacher played the song for multiple classes that day. She warned the students about the language before playing it. Why would you even consider this knowing that these words were in this song? He said he heard she was suspended, but that's not enough. He is meeting with the superintendent this week and will demand her termination. Now, there should be nobody wanting a teacher with that mentality teaching in the classroom. It was uh, unfortunate. School board member Richard Hooker said administrators have already taken strong action. He opposes termination, but says a teacher may be moved to another school. He wants sensitivity training for all educators. But it would be a learning opportunity for us to continue to move beyond. Ken Lemon, Channel 9 Eyewitness News. Pastor Clark said that moving the teacher won't solve the problem. He said that he and others will keep pushing until she is no longer teaching. Every nigger is a star every nigga is a star who will deny that you and i and every nigga is a star Attorney for the firefighters who sued says there's no way a war would have settled for $480,000 unless it knew it was going to lose a trial. 
Now, the fire department isn't talking, but one of the men who sued says in this case, statistics don't lie. That was constantly targeted. 51-year-old Calvin Brown says the discrimination he experienced inside the Aurora Fire Department wasn't obvious. No blaring red siren that screamed racism. He says it was far more subtle. I would be in one room and they would call me by another recruit's name. It was another black firefighter, but we looked nothing alike. But what really bothered him, he says, was the retaliation he faced while going through training. He remembers what happened when he testified on behalf of another African-American training recruit who complained of being mistreated by a white supervisor. I told him what I saw. Uh, it was a verbal confrontation and that the instructor had, uh, had in my opinion, had threatened the other, uh, the other student. Soon, Brown says he was fired and he wasn't the only minority to be terminated. Statistically, minority group firefighters were washing out of the academy at three times the rate of white firefighters. Civil rights attorney David Lane filed suit on behalf of four firefighters, three African-Americans, and one Hispanic. Our clients are all very experienced firefighters. They were lateral hires by Aurora, so they know what they're doing. Calvin Brown worked in Texas as a first responder. He never expected to fight racism in Aurora, but he says the training and treatment at the academy never felt colorblind. The things that we were ha they were having us do, we kept failing on for some reason, and we were doing the exact same thing we'd done before. In a statement to the problem solvers, Aurora City Attorney said, the city agreed to settle this matter to resolve all claims brought by the employees based on the inherent expenses and time involved in litigating a federal lawsuit. But Attorney David Lane says the city is blowing smoke. He says Aurora settled because he compiled the numbers of minority recruits and firefighters getting let go versus whites. He insists it was no statistical anomaly. People say, oh, they're playing the race card. They're playing the race card. These guys are just greedy. Aurora didn't pay nearly half a million dollars because they thought they were going to win this case. If we can make it better for the people who are there now and for the people who are coming up behind us, then I think it's definitely worth it. As part of the legal settlement, the problem solvers have learned the Aurora Fire Department is going to provide diversity training to everyone at the academy for the next five years. Rob Lowe, Fox 31. Billy Holiday, I sing your blues. Bet your life against me, and I swear to God you lose it. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. Missouri State Senator Jamila Nasheed wants the FCC to pull the broadcasting license for 1190 KQQZ AM because of a radio host making what she says are racist and homophobic comments on his show. We got both sides of their story tonight, all new at five. Radio shock jock host Bob Romanic host cool killer country on 1190 AM. He uses the N word on his show and says it's his first amendment right. I promise you and every listener in this great country, as soon as the rap artists quit using the N word, as soon as Chris Rock quits using the N word, I'll quit using the N-word. Senator Jamila Nasheed wants Romantic off the air, saying he is full of hate. To call individuals out of their names, call African Americans the N-word, it's unacceptable. And that's why I am calling on the FCC to revoke their license. Romantic says half his audience and callers are African American. He wants people to judge him for what he does in the community not by what he says. I've done more for the black community with my money, but I can, call you a, I can call you a killer today, Mr. Faust. Does that make you a killer? They don't like what I say, so automatically I'm a racist. If I was a racist, you don't think that you think I would pay to have black kids, innocent black kids buried because they're sitting in the morgue froze because nobody's going to bury them? You think I'd spend 25000 to feed the blacks down below the hill? 
I'm not a racist. I'm far from. I'm a realist. An audio clip of Missouri Representative Bob Burns calling into Romantic Show surfaced over the weekend. In this clip, Burns praises Romantic for his service to veterans and troops. He says he was not condoning Romantic's commentary. Burns adds he won't resign despite being asked to. To go on his show and praise him and talk about how great he's doing, uh, people didn't, I mean, I don't think they understood uh, that mentality. And they believe that, you know, he should resign. Senator Claire McCaskill and several other politicians have asked Burns to resign because they say he was calling into a show hosted by a man who is known to make racist comments. I did reach out to the FCC today for comment, and they told me that they were reviewing Senator Nasheed's letter, and at this time, they are declining to comment. Earlier today, I was briefed by my Homeland Security team on the events in Boston. Okay, this has happened to me. I'm driving around, and I turn onto a street with a name like, I don't know, Montague Street, and I wonder, who was that person? Well, in Boston, they know. Yawkey Way honors Tom Yawkey. He was the late owner of the Boston Red Sox, known for philanthropy and, this is the awkward part, also known for running a racist baseball team. Today, a commission is voting on a request by the current owners to rename that street outside Fenway Park. Here's NPR's Tovia Smith. The Red Sox say they're still haunted by Tom Yawkey's legacy. The team was the last to hire a black player 12 years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. The front office was notorious for racism, even spewing the N-word, and fans did too over the years, even last summer when the Orioles' Adam Jones played at Fenway. I heard the N-word and I just was like, okay, this is really, uh, it's really how it's going to go down here. The current Sox owners lost no time kicking the guilty fan out of Fenway for life, saying they were sickened by his behavior. Shortly after, the Sox began their campaign to strip Yawkey's name from the street they call Fenway's front door. The undeniable and regrettable history of the Red Sox make it difficult to continue to give prominence to a symbol associated with an era marred by racial discrimination. Sox attorney David Friedman kicked off a recent hearing on the name change. Then, a former state official, Walter Carrington, called Yawkey Way Massachusetts Confederate statue. It is a disgrace every time I or any black go into Fenway Park is an insult. In 1959, Carrington investigated the Sox for discrimination and ultimately agreed with Jackie Robinson. He believed that Tom Yawkey was the biggest bigot in professional baseball. But the bid to erase Yawkey's name has also rallied Yawkey fans like former Sox pitcher Jim Lonborg. I personally saw a change in Mr. Yawkey when I think he became a better man and we were all uh, better people because he was in our clubhouse. Many testified to the good done by Yawkey and his wife Jean through their foundation that's poured some $300 million into Boston. From the Jimmy Fund that saved generations of children with cancer. In hospitals and museums. Supporters of the Urban League and have helped countless young people, regardless of their race. Boston businessman and philanthropist Jack Connors said the Red Sox are unfairly smearing the Yawkey name and heading down a slippery slope. Whatever happened to common sense? Who's going to talk about Washington Street or Jefferson Way? But the debate is not just split along racial lines. We got serious issues to deal with in Boston, and changing street signs isn't going to get us there. Reverend Ray Hammond is pastor at an historically black church in Boston and a Yawkey Foundation trustee. Unlike the Confederates who don't deserve statues, he says, 
Yawkey's lesser sins, his growth, and generosity should allow for his redemption. Let's understand all of our heroes probably have feet of clay, and let's learn from those feet of clay. The redemption starts with someone saying, I'm sorry. But Yawkey never did, says State Representative Byron Rushing, so no amount of charity after his death can absolve him. This is not an argument about the Yawkey Foundation. We're talking about the person and not the foundation. It's why some have suggested a compromise to rename Yawkey Way, Yawkey Foundation Way. Outside Fenway, during a ballpark tour, another idea from fans like Sean Livermore from Alabama is to keep Yawkey Way, but also post a plaque with a fuller history. This knee-jerk reaction is just begging for history to repeat itself by not making all those moments teachable moments. 25-year-old Lauren McCone agrees Yawkey Way should stay. It's like tradition now. You know, you come to Yawkey Way and you get your sausage on the street before the game, and it would be weird if it changed from Yawkey Way now. Especially weird, she says, if it reverted to its old name, Jersey Street. As many note, that was meant to honor the British Isle of Jersey, where locals boosted their fortunes buying and selling slaves. Tovia Smith, NPR News, Boston. White people often point to the writings of Booker T. Washington as the best example of a desirable attitude on the part of the colored population. I've never been able to agree with the point of view of Washington because he has, to my mind, not been altogether frank in the statement of the problems or courageous in his solution to them. I have found no better way of avoiding race prejudice than to act with people of other races as if prejudice did not exist. Jack Johnson. Uh, you know, you mentioned something that wasn't on our uh, list to talk to you about today. But since you mentioned Jack Johnson, what do you both make of uh, the fact that Donald Trump is contemplating a pardon for uh, Johnson? And uh, you probably read that the the uh, well, obviously, I can tell what you think that, that this was initiated that Sly Stallone apparently uh, uh, called Donald Trump. I guess they talked to each other. And suggested that an injustice had been uh, done. Uh, was Johnson the first black heavyweight champion? I think yeah, he was. Yeah, he absolutely was. And obviously, he got in some trouble. Uh, well, he did. See, that's another thing. See, he was unapologetically black because he married a white woman, and he flaunted that 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 he right. hung around a number of white women and and made no apologies about it. And he even got a lot of you know steam from from African Americans because again, we also police ourselves with this notion of what is an appropriate white gaze. So what do you think of it? You both uh, snickered, I think it's fair to say, <laughs> I, I when I mentioned Trump and a possible pardon. I Why? Think, I think it's silly because <laughs> if uh, President Trump is going to pardon some folks, there is a whole list right, of folks really? who are, who are actively petitioning, yeah. some on death row and whatnot. Um, Jack Johnson was uh, convicted in 1913 under the Mann Act right, right, for, right. for taking his white girlfriend across <laughs> the state lines right. for immoral purposes. So you could have... You know, kind of check, fact check that a little bit, and and, and picked a little bit more righteous cause. I would right. argue because this is be, this is before uh, Mildred versus Mildred Loving versus the state of Virginia, where they you know sort of 
cut down anti, you know, uh, miscegenation laws that here. Was, but this, I, was that 73, by the way? Was, it was 67, 67. 1967. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. recent that is? I mean, that is amazing. Yeah. I, well, listen, if he, if he pardons him, wonderful. I think he should be pardoned. I, I, and I think if anybody he would pardon, it would be him simply because Trump is enamored with strong men. And so he would define himself as coming to the rescue of another strong man, man like himself. So do you think, I mean, is, can I read between the lines with you, Emmett, uh, who said that a lot of people living who need it more for whom it would be far more valuable. In part, is he doing it because he is dead and it's much less yeah, I mean, risk laden? There's no risk. That, I mean, there's absolutely no risk. There, there, there are no protests. There's no cause trying to get Jack Johnson exonerated from, <laughs> you know, the 1913 conviction. Yeah. There's nobody out there wolfing except for sliced alone. I do think right? that. I, th- I think it's wonderful because it, it, it does for his family. What it does for his family, it puts it at rest for Jack Johnson's lineage here, that his father, is fi- their father, grandfather, yeah. has finally been pardoned by the president of the United States, even if it's someone that... Johnson wouldn't even like. This the city of Chicago. Chicago. Chicago police are under pressure to explain a so-called gang database with nearly 130,000 names. Critics say the list is not transparent and could enable racial profiling. Here's Illinois State Senator Patricia Van Pelt talking to Chicago TV station WGN. 89% of African-American men in Chicago, 20 to 29, are on that list. That is, that's outrageous. ProPublica reporter Mick Dumkey has studied the list. He's found some surprises. For one thing... I found more than 160 people who are supposedly in their 70s or 80s or even older in this database. I asked Dumkey how police officers use the gang database. They use it to basically keep track of people they meet on the street, people they're investigating. Uh, They want to know essentially where they've been and who they've associated with. So they find the database to be a helpful tool pretty much in getting a history of a person they might encounter in their work, even when they acknowledge that not all the information in it might be accurate. And what's the criteria for being affiliated with gang members? Um, They have to self-admit to being a member of a gang. They may have uh, tattoos or some other kind of external markings that are associated with gangs. Or they could be identified as a gang member by somebody else the police determine is reliable. So it's a little bit fuzzy. What about this list first grabbed your attention? Well, it's been out in the news here. A couple of individuals in Chicago sued the police department, saying they were mistakenly identified as gang members and recorded in this database. And then that information was accessed by federal immigration authorities who moved to deport them as a result. Um, I've also heard some suspicion that the database could pop up in various job or background checks. Background checks for like jobs. Jobs potentially for housing. So we don't know exactly how it's used and who all has access to it. I think that's one of the major concerns about it. So all these ways it can impact people's lives, and yet we don't know how much evidence was even present in the first place for adding that particular name to the list. That's right. And when I talk to police officers, I heard different views about the quality of the information in this database. Uh, A lot of officers said, look, it's really useful, but I have some issues with it. One officer who's a fairly high-ranking figure in the Chicago Police Department uh, said that he uses it to determine deployment. Where 
it makes sense to send more police officers to put them on patrol because the information could be helpful in determining who's involved in a street conflict and why it's going on. But he said, I have some questions about whether it's constitutional. Did any of the officers you talked to say that the list gave them opportunities to racially profile, encouraged racial profiling? They didn't talk about racial profiling. In fact, one officer I spoke with said, the truth of the matter is that most of the street gangs in Chicago are led by Hispanic or black men. Um, One thing that occurred to me is that the database is kind of Mm self-fulfilling. If there's a lot more police activity in black and Hispanic neighborhoods, of course, most of the people in the database are going to end up being black and Hispanic. And so when you turn that record into what amounts to an enforcement mechanism or what amounts to a sentencing tool, then that's really problematic because it really says at least as much, if not more so, about what the police department is doing than it does about the people who are on the list. Mick Dumkey is a reporter at ProPublica Illinois. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. So a woman was tackled at a Waffle House in Alabama. Uh, cops arrested her. And she's 25-year-old Chakesia Clemens in Saraland, Alabama. She herself is from Mobile. There is video of the incident. Here's what happened inside that Waffle House. That's the only thing she asked me. I'm going to go over there and get um, the car from there. I heard the F-bomb. No, because Goldie was sitting here talking crazy to me. No, but that's not what you're going to do to me. You're not going to grab on me like that. No. Come on, Kiki. Let's just go outside. Please, please, please. 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 So um, the reason that you see a picture blurred there is because her top came off. So they they have her, they're wrestling her to the ground for a moment there. It looked like there was going to be some sort of chokehold or something. And, and now parts of her clothes are off. And I mean, I'm just picturing being on that filthy ground and having people throw me on there. And so, Brett, my main question to you is the one she kept asking throughout, which is, why are you guys doing this? What did I do? What did I do? And as I was first saw the headline and first saw the video, I thought, what did she do? I mean, maybe it was something really bad, in which case they got to arrest her and they got to get her out of there. We have it. The reason she was tackled, the reason this escalated to the level it did was a very important reason. Clemens asked for plastic utensils while placing an order at the Waffle House on Industrial Parkway in Saraland early that morning and was told by a female employee that plasticware costs 50 cents, according to her mother. They tried to charge her for plastic utensils. She wondered why. She was being charged for plastic utensils, and I'm sure you're asking yourself the same question which I was asking myself. When do they ever charge for plastic utensils Not at once. a Waffle House or anywhere? Yeah. Never. Never. Yeah, I've ne- ne- never at any restaurant. I've been to a million Waffle Houses. Uh, I enjoy their food. Uh, ne- 
Never got charged for plastic utensils in my entire life. It's crazy. And specific things that I noticed when that video was playing. One, they keep having her roll over one way and another as though they themselves have not figured out how to make this arrest. I mean, it's obvious earlier when she's holding her arm up, she's covering up her breasts. She doesn't want to be exposed in public. And I don't know why this wasn't clear to people. And in case you didn't, in case it wasn't clear what was said during it, she said, what are you doing? And the officer says, I'll break your arm. That's what I'm about to do. Oh, well, no, to be fair, though, she did not pay the 50 cent charge. So let's assume for a second that that's a wide scale thing that just happened. And we didn't realize and we haven't caught on to the trend that when if you ask for a plastic fork, they're going to charge you 50 cents. Okay, let's grant them that for a second, which is non-existent, but let's grant that, okay? You really, as a cop, you think the proper thing to do here is, hey, guys, this is a minor dispute. Let's just wrap this thing up, right, and de-escalate this thing. And I know you guys are mad at each other, but let's talk it through. Or I'm going to break your arm, and I'm going to throw you on the ground, and your clothes are going to come off, et cetera. Why? Because you didn't pay 50 cents because you were having a perfectly normal dispute about whether a plastic fork costs 50 cents. Which it should not cost 50 cents, but that aside... They, they took her in, and she wasn't booked until 2.43 in the morning or sometime in, in the 2 o'clock hour. Um, and she was booked on charges of disorderly conduct, conduct and resisting arrest. I just can't. When they have you on the ground, and every time I see a video of someone being tackled, it's always, you're resisting, you're resisting. And I look at that person in that situation, I'm like, what are you supposed to do when someone's shouting at you and pulling your arms in directions they're not supposed to go? All this over a spoon. Mm. Yeah, so guys, does anybody out there, let's put the racial component aside for a second. Does anyone out there think that if this was Nobu in Beverly Hills and they had a dispute about whether they were going to charge for a plastic fork, that the cops come in and take a woman that's really well dressed and, and is obviously very rich in Beverly Hills and throw her on the ground, her top comes off, they threaten to break her arm. Are you insane? No one thinks that, right? Because the reality is then the cops could be in a lot of trouble because that person is rich and probably has power. He might, As a cop once said on our show, he might know a judge. He might know this and he might know that. But if you don't have any power and you're poor and you're at a Waffle House, they'll threaten to break your arm and then charge you and throw you in jail. And then at the end, and I don't know if you heard that either, the last thing the, the officer says as he has her on the ground, he turns back and just goes, do you want to come fix her clothes? To her friends. And mm -hmm. the friend just says, no, you mess them up, you fix them. Because it's just so, it's just so crazy and it escalated so quickly. Um, so yeah. can we teach de-escalation to our cops? Is that possible or no? The answer is, and it's in all in training. Show force. Let them know you're a boss. Okay, if the guy's got a gun or it's a bank robbery, I can see why, hey, you know what, if you're forceful in your commands, that might actually be helpful. I, we get that. Not if you're at a Waffle House and this overwhelming dispute over plastic and 50 cents, then maybe you should train them. Oh, in a different situation, maybe you should de-escalate and not raise your voice and not throw people to the ground and rub them on the dirty ground and then throw them in prison and maybe ruin their lives. Can we teach that to our cops? This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it as I must master my life. Without me, my rifle is useless. Without my rifle, I am useless. I must fire.
I must shoot him before he shoots me. I will. Before God, I swear this creed. My rifle and myself are defenders of my country. We are the masters of our enemy. We are the saviors of my life. So be it, until there is no enemy. But peace, amen. The manhunt ended today for a man suspected of killing four people at a Waffle House in Nashville over the weekend. The death toll in the shooting would likely have been much higher if a customer had not wrestled the gun away from the suspect and dragged him out of the restaurant. The gunman then ran naked from the scene into nearby woods. He was later taken into custody. There are questions about how the man came to have guns in the first place. We'll hear more about that in a moment. First, we go to Tony Gonzalez, a reporter with member station WPLN, who's been following developments today in Nashville. Hi, Tony. Hi, how are you? Uh, Tell us about how police captured the suspect. Well, ultimately, it was actually a citizen tip that came in that uh, pointed police to 29-year-old Travis Reinking, uh, who is now facing multiple murder charges. He was actually pretty close to his apartment, which that area had been searched a day ago. But the tip said he was out behind a construction site in the woods. Um, The the first detective who got there and saw him uh, recognized Ryan King immediately, ordered him down, cuffed him. I guess there was no struggle there. Um, But police say he did have a loaded uh, 45 caliber handgun in his backpack. What many people are asking about in this case is why the suspect was allowed to even have guns, given the fact that he'd shown signs of mental instability and threatening behavior, including an incident last summer on the grounds of the White House. NPR's law enforcement correspondent Martin Costi joins us now to talk about what options police have to remove guns from someone like this. Hi, Martin. Hi, Elsa. Okay, the way I understand it, it seems the suspect in this case did lose his guns, at least temporarily. Can you tell us what happened? Well, yes, he's been showing some signs of mental instability. There was an incident last summer, kind of a bizarre behavior involving a swimming pool, and he exposed himself and he had a rifle with him. After that, the local law enforcement went to his father, who apparently told them he would lock up his son's guns, at least while he was trying to get some help or something like that. But then a month later, we had this incident at the White House, kind of on the security perimeter there, where he breached that perimeter. And after that, the feds apparently went to Illinois law enforcement and encouraged them to take his guns away if possible. What they did is they canceled his gun card that's required in Illinois. But it was unclear really what the legal grounds for taking those guns away might be. Uh, And so what happened there is his father volunteered to take the guns into safekeeping, and the deputies who were there to take those guns agreed to do that. But apparently after that, at some point, Reinking did get his hands on those guns again. So Travis Reinking's behavior had been strange and threatening. Why wouldn't there have been legal basis to take away his guns in that case? Well, because of his constitutional legal rights to own those guns, police generally have very few options in these cases to take away someone's property like that. There really has to be an outright threat of violence or actual violence. And we saw that with the case of the accused shooter in Parkland. There had been lots of visits by police, concerns about his mental health, but there was little they could do about taking away his guns, which were legal. And that's why there's been this push now recently for what's called generically red flag laws. They go by different names, gun violence restraining order, that kind of thing. And what these new laws that are being proposed do is create a mechanism that the police can use. They can go to a court to get a prevention order. It's kind of like in domestic violence cases to temporarily take guns away with some legal backing. How common are those laws across the United States? 
Well, they're not that common yet. There's a handful of states that have them. But after Parkland, we saw a real big new push, especially by gun control groups, to promote these laws. About 20 states, roughly, had been considering them, including Illinois and Tennessee. But so far, those two states did not actually have red flag laws on the books yet when all this happened. And is there a pushback from gun rights groups on having more of these laws on the books? Well, yes and no. Um, The NRA recently announced that officially it is supportive of the idea of red flag laws in principle because um, this actually supports the NRA's take on things that mass shootings are mainly a mental health problem and not a gun problem. But in practice, the NRA has not been supporting the laws as they've been proposed because they require a kind of a long list of conditions to make sure those laws are constitutional in their view, that they don't infringe too much on people's rights to own guns. For example, they say they'll only support a a law like this if the same standards for committing someone involuntarily to mental health treatment, if those same standards are applied to taking away someone's guns. Wow, that's a really high bar. It's a very high bar. It's hard to commit someone involuntarily. And so, you know, the, the people promoting these laws say, well, with the bar that high, you're really not supporting this at all. And in fact, in a lot of states, the NRA has opposed versions of this law. What about the fact that the father had said he would take care of the guns, but then the son got the guns back anyway? Could the father be criminally liable in any way? It's not really clear yet under Illinois law how that would work. It could have been a legal transfer despite the lack of a gun card. And the fact is, actually, in a lot of these cases, in states that do have red flag laws, the police often take advantage of family members who are volunteering to take possession of the guns for safekeeping. This is actually often a very useful compromise because Mm -hmm. the person losing the guns is less likely to fight it. And if the family member is serious about keeping them out of that person's hands, it's a good compromise. and It's easier for the police than taking it into official custody. All right. That's NPR's Martin Costi. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Not as funny as a lynching. Oh, hush, boy. You ain't even see it. I've never seen a lynching either, but I know they're not funny. See? Shows what you know. I've seen funny lynchings. No, you haven't. I have so. Roscoe Patterson's lynching was funny. Yeah, so them niggas was like, Roscoe, you better leave time for Mr. Charlie and them crackers gonna pop on you. I'm like, man, fuck these crackers, man. This Roscoe Patterson. Nigga, I don't give a fuck. I just don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? White man can eat a dick. Eat my balls, nigga. There he is. Get that nigga. Oh. Hey, oh, I got Come on, let's there go. Watch oh, out. It uh, wasn't really funny after that. Mm-mm. It's a hunting feeling to descend beneath a forest of steel columns, symbols of a haunted American past, the systematic lynching of thousands of African Americans. As we walk, they rise. So it becomes what? Yes, well, it becomes more sobering to now know that these figures are being raised up above you, this violence is being raised above you, but that was the menace and the threat and the terror that lynching was designed to create. The National Memorial for Peace and Justice, a project led by civil rights attorney Brian Stevenson, sits on six acres on a grassy hill overlooking downtown Montgomery, Alabama. Construction continued during our visit. This is a city resonant with the history of racial strife. The first White House of the Confederacy, statues and memorials to Confederate leaders, the church where Martin Luther King Jr. preached, the bus stop where Rosa Parks became a symbol of resistance. It's also home to Stevenson's Equal Justice Initiative, a legal advocacy organization which documented more than 4,400 lynchings between 1877 and 1950, putting names and stories to mostly forgotten victims. 
Most of us have no understanding about the legacy of slavery. We have no understanding about the era of lynching. Black people were routinely pulled out of their homes and hanged and burned and drowned and mutilated and tortured, sometimes on the public square with thousands of people cheering on that torture. At the memorial, more than 800 rectangular steel monuments suspended from the ceiling, rising in height. Rusted and stained, some as if bleeding. Each represents a county where lynchings occurred, with victims' names and dates of death. Some with just a few, others with dozens, and many more unknown. It's only when we find a way to talk about these things, when we tell the truth about these things, that we can create new relationships. That's what truth and reconciliation is about. It's just that we can't skip any steps. Uh, truth and reconciliation is sequential. You've got to tell the truth first, and then you get to reconciliation. I mean, this is a kind of... I don't know if obsession is the right word, but this missing link mm -hmm. in our history from slavery to, let's say, the civil rights movement. Yeah, it is a compulsion. I want to be free. I want all of us to be free. And I don't think any of us are free, black or white. We are constrained by the smog created by this history. And to deal with that, we're going to have to clean the air. We're going to have to talk about some things we haven't talked about before. One of the names here, Elmore Bowling, killed in 1947 in Lowndes County, Alabama, less than 30 miles from Montgomery. He was killed simply because he was too prosperous to be a Negro farmer. Josephine Bowling McCall was just five when it happened. One white man was arrested at the time but never prosecuted. Her father had started a business employing other African Americans, and Josephine believes he was murdered for violating the racist social contract of the time. It was maintaining status quo, and that is the black man was never supposed to achieve the level and um, level of success that white men had. We were never to. Um, Aspire. It even kills your aspirations when you think about um, when someone is murdered like that. She remembers not just the terror from her father's killing, their family fled to Montgomery shortly after his death, but the pain that came from justice denied. There is an emptiness that one doesn't get over easily, especially when you're wondering why. Why was he so brutally killed? And then once you find out that it's really for naught, then it really, really hurts. Along with the memorial, Stevenson's organization created the Legacy Museum downtown that traces African-American history through four eras. It begins with enslavement and recognizes the troubled past of this very site, once used to warehouse slaves. In the period of lynching and racial terror during Reconstruction, postcards in which white spectators pose by hanging bodies, and large jars containing the actual soil from the ground where lynchings occurred. In the 20th century, into the civil rights era, a collection of laws across the country, some banning activities as trivial as playing cards with a black person. Finally, our own time, a period of mass incarceration. Stevenson has spent decades defending wrongfully convicted prisoners, some of whose stories can be heard here. I think slavery didn't end, it evolved. 
And for the last 160 years, 170 years, we've been dealing with the legacy of slavery. And you can see that manifest in lynching and in segregation and presumptions of dangerousness and guilt that challenges us today. I see young kids who are being born into a world where they are still weighed down with that burden. And so I want to get us to the point where we get past that. That's how we're going to get past these police shootings of unarmed uh, black men and women. That's how we're going to get past uh, the wrongful convictions of people of color. We're not going to get there if we don't deal with this legacy. You, you are, of course, forcing people in some way to look at ugly things. Yes. Right? I mean, you can't live in a community where most people in the community came out and cheered while someone was burned alive, where someone was tortured, where someone was hanged, and expect to be a healthy community uh, by never talking about it. It just doesn't work that way. That stuff festers. It's too traumatizing. It's too painful. It's too terrifying to just evaporate. It's in the air. And communities of color still feel that pain, that menace, that anguish. And they're being told they can't talk about it either. Stevenson modeled his new project on those in other countries such as Germany and South Africa, which have publicly faced their pasts. Where are we in, in, in remembering? We are nowhere. I mean, we're the opposite. We're actually trying to romanticize these periods that are actually periods of great trauma and shame. And that's why I think these, these projects are so important. We should create a new kind of iconography that we can all be proud of. I don't want segregated iconography, segregated memorials. I want an honest, honest accounting of our history, a reckoning with our history. And then I want to see how we want to deal with that. To that end, Stevenson is creating replicas of each of these markers and inviting counties to take theirs home for public display in memory of the victims. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Jeffrey Brown in Montgomery, Alabama. Montgomery, Alabama spent the past week in self-reflection. The National Memorial for Peace and Justice, a memorial to those killed in lynchings, has just opened there, dedicated to victims of racial injustice. And the Montgomery Advertiser newspaper has run a series on racial crimes that were committed within memory of many families in Alabama, including an editorial that looked back on how their newspaper covered lynchings. That editorial began, We Were Wrong. We're joined now from Montgomery by the paper's executive editor, Bo Crift. Mr. Crift, thanks so much for being with us. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you for having me. And how was your newspaper wrong? I think we were wrong in how we um, covered lynchings and the racial terror of the mid-19th century through um, the early 20th century. Uh, we looked at um, the articles that we ran and the words that we chose to describe the victims of those lynchings. Um, we uh, characterized them as murderers before they were actually convicted. Um, and we didn't necessarily get their story or understand their perspective. And we routinely did that um, throughout um, several decades, long into the 20th century. And is there an example or two that stays in your mind? Yeah, there was one, one man who was pulled out of a buggy after he was accused of a murder by masked men. And when he was pulled out, um, they shot him on the side of the road. And when we were describing what occurred very factually 
at the end, uh, we described how he and his brothers were all dubious characters and were born murderers, despite their family being hardworking. And the idea that we would already describe them as born murderers before they were convicted of a crime um, already sets a narrative in place that you probably can't turn around with the people that are reading your newspaper. And uh, and would it be fair to say that this kind of reporting just strengthened racism? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, I don't know if it was consciously done in some, some pieces, but if you look at the headlines and the words that were chosen, I think it was rooted in, in the times, in the beliefs of an inferior race and uh, white supremacy. Now, we would write editorials saying lynching is wrong, but then we would say things, well, you know, lynching is going to continue to occur as long as the assaults against people continue to occur. So it was almost putting the blame back on the person who was lynched. If they didn't commit the, the incident, then they wouldn't have been pulled out of a buggy and killed on the side of the road with a, you know, a gunshot to the back of the head. Has this experience, do you think it's changed how you're going to cover the community of Montgomery and central Alabama from now on? It should. I think we need to consciously think about how we characterize people um, that we report on daily. Victims of crimes, people accused of crimes, but even public officials too. Because it it's a document, right? It puts it down, records it in history. This is who this person was. We saw headlines um, from other papers where um, lynching victims were described as brutes, Negro brutes. And what does that mean? I mean, that just one word, but it carries so much and it characterizes that person and dehumanizes them so much. So when you look at the modern times and what we are doing now and the choice of words that we use, it's important that we make sure that we reflect um, each and every person. We understand them as, as a human. Bro Crift, executive editor of the Montgomery Advertiser, thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate being with you. Thank you for having me. But Mark, do you realize what this means? I mean, you're going to have to be a black person. No shit. Yeah, but for three years, Mark. Three years, what's that going to be like? Gordo, it's going to be great. These are the 80s, man. It's the Cosby decade. America loves black people. So like I was saying, I've always believed that Cosbyness is next to godliness. Do anybody feel bad for Bill Cosby? For years, the actor, entertainer and comedian Bill Cosby was one of the biggest names in Hollywood. But on Thursday, he was found guilty of three counts of sexual assault and he faces up to 30 years in jail. It's been a very long journey, but this is an historic result. Wow! Hey, yo, drama, hold up, sir. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the motherfucking record. Right. I want you to pondy replay, drama. Pondy replay. <laughs> <laughs> Give him one more chance, man. Run that shit the fuck back. But this is an historic result. This was her story. Not his story, not history, but the story of her. The story of Andrea Constant. The story of all of those who took that risk against a rich, powerful, famous man. That was Gloria Allred, the lawyer representing dozens of women who between them have publicly accused Bill Cosby of decades of abuse. As he left court, shouts of you're going to jail echoed across the stone steps of the Pennsylvania courthouse, leaving Mr Cosby's lawyer to insist the fight is not over and he plans to file an appeal. Our correspondent, Nada Tofik, spoke to me from outside the courthouse and she told me about the dramatic scenes there. 
Bill Cosby's uh, other accusers were all in court when the verdict was read, and they were just overjoyed. This was something that many of them thought was unthinkable, really, uh, even just before they heard that he was, in fact, found guilty by this jury. They were crying in tears of joy, embracing uh, to the point where some of them were told to leave the courtroom uh, and then came and spoke with reporters here. And one of the women said that this was just a, a sense for them that women were finally being valued, were seen as worthy, were seen as being believed. So very emotional moment for them. If you recall, there have been more than 50 women who have accused Bill Cosby of drugging them and sexually assaulting them uh, over decades. And it was also emotional for Bill Cosby. And in, in fact, he actually let out a profanity when the prosecutor asked the judge uh, to arrest him immediately, saying that he was a flight risk. And Bill Cosby got angry at that. Uh, and later, the district attorney said that that really showed the true colors of Bill Cosby, uh, apart from his kind of on-air persona as a good guy, a lovable father figure. And we had a very angry, defiant statement from Bill Cosby's lawyer saying that he would definitely appeal. So, so how soon might that happen and what difference will it make now, now that we have this guilty verdict? Yes, his lawyer said that they will fight on, that he plans to appeal. You know, Bill Cosby is expected to be sentenced in two to three months. We're expecting a lot of the women to be able to speak at that sentencing hearing, other accusers who were not able to speak during the trial. But as you say, you know, society has really, in this last year since the Me Too movement, changed from doubting to believing victims. And I think this trial was just a key example of how the Me Too movement has affected the justice system because... In the trial last year, the jury was deadlocked. They were only able to hear from one other accuser. This time, they heard from five women, and just over a day of deliberations, they made their decision to believe those women. Nada Tafik. Context of White Supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, April 28th, 2018. So I have been told this is our weekly compensatory call in. Dial in if you have thoughts, counter racist suggestions. Uh, Any commentary on any of the audio clips that we just listened to or other items you would like to share, the number to dial 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Few things before we get to the callers. Uh, first off, we are listener supported counter racist radio. Invest if you think the program is constructive. You can visit my blog, racism notes.blogspot.com. Racism notes.blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right corner. Thank you so much to all of the Cows listeners who have supported. 
uh, the cows, Gus T for nearly a decade, uh, who supported for the program or supported for the flood relief. Uh, super appreciate all of the support. Hope the broadcast has been and continues to be worthy of your time and energy. Uh, all the folks, uh, if you are not interested in PayPal, you can also support via the wish list at Amazon.com. Uh, it's filed under Gusty Renegade. Uh, it's also linked on my blog. Also, thanks to all the folks who have nabbed items from the wish list. Uh, super appreciate everything. Uh, again, hope the program has been and continues to be worthy of your time and energy. That said, few other things that I wanted to make sure we touched uh, before I get some of the callers. The first, I feel like there were so many things. I guess I'll start. Number one, man, I've shared so many, I feel, anecdotes the past three months or so. Going to yoga, wearing my please respect me like I am a white person t-shirt. I shared the one earlier this week where suspected race soldier mean mugged me with an ice cream cone no less when i was wearing my shirt leaving yoga class i shared that on facebook i think i posted it on facebook before i actually mentioned it on the air anyway uh my partner in getting these t-shirts done years ago it's been i think like six years ago is that long uh farmer trav formerly dr trav informed me hark we have uh I think like two dozen t-shirts left. I didn't even think, I thought we, you know, had moved all of those eons ago. So I had moved forward and to be totally transparent, Gus T was never, and I mean, never capital N E V E R never excited about the prospect of these t-shirts. I did not make one penny from the shirts. It was an annoyance having to keep up with all that. I did not start out to get in the t-shirt game that was not my intention at all uh, it really took uh, a lot of uh talking and convincing cajoling to get gus uh to do this so to find out that their shirt still left was almost oh god i can't believe <laughs> we'll never be done however there have been people that have asked for the shirt since i've been mentioning it and talking about different responses that i have had so if there are listeners out there, if you would like a counter-racist t-shirt, again, the shirt, it's black, it's t-shirt, it's black, it says, please respect me like I am a white person. That's what the shirt says. I've talked about it. I've been wearing mine for six years now. I think I've, I know I've easily worn it more than a hundred times. I've taken a hundred yoga classes this year, so I know I've worn it a hundred times this year. Um, I have not been brutalized, beaten, stomped on <laughs> like I have worn it safely for six years in super white Washington. So if there's anybody out there, if you want it, it was supposed to be an experiment. Make sure I emphasize that as well, uh, where people wear the shirt uh, and see particularly how suspected racists respond. Uh, I thought that they would really work hard to at least not appear racist while you have that shirt on in, in their presence. Like, oh, not me. I love your shirt. That's what I thought would happen for the most part. That's what I've experienced, except with the white man who mean mugged me with an ice cream cone. Again, if you would like a shirt, you can drop uh, me an email until justice at gmail.com. 
I think the shirts were $25, but I honestly don't remember. It's been that long. I think it's been five years since there was even a prospect of you could purchase one of these shirts. But I think they were $25. And frankly, I don't care because none of the money goes to me. So if you don't want to pay the $25 or whatever, moving forward, uh, $25, that's the price for the shirt that includes uh, the shipping costs uh, and all of that good stuff. Uh, Drop me an email if you're interested. I'll confirm with Trev and... Hopefully we can get this done like immediately because uh, I cannot believe it's been six years and we're still selling T-shirts. Next, the segment that was about the potential pardon of Jack Johnson. We talked about Jack Johnson on the program uh, before. I thought, number one, it's so tacky to have our current or the current president of the United States if he is the one who ends up pardoning Jack Johnson, tacky on so many levels. Uh, just I remember when people uh, were griping during the final days when President Obama was in, in office that, oh, man, that no good, no count Obama, dirty, plucked our nerves for eight years and he can't pardon Jack Johnson. He can't pardon Marcus, worthless, he wasted our time for that. I remember a lot of that. But then to have Donald Trump, if he does end up doing it, that's one. And then two, they do this all the time. They will pardon black people who have been dead for like 500 years. They will step forward and spend like $5 million to have like a banquet and make it a big affair, all kinds of camera people there. And we are coming out to announce today an official proclamation that Harriet Tubman is no longer going to be wanted or uh, anyway talked bad about. She's totally free. No more wanted posters for her. Harriet Tubman Day. Yes. Now, she's been dead. You know, how many? They do this all the time. It was a group in North Carolina, I think, just like two years ago, uh, where they same type of thing. They locked them up. I forgot what it was in North Carolina. It was like nine or ten of them. I think it was a white woman with them. All, I think all of them are dead except for one. And then they came around and said, oh, yeah, that sure was messed up what we did to those Negroes and that one white woman. We'll go ahead and do a pardon. All of them are dead posthumously, as they said, tacky as can be. And exactly as they said in the report, all of these live Negras that you could pardon. No, we'll go back and find a Negra who's been dead for, you know, who knows. And the other thing that really stood out to me in that report, there is a documentary on Jack Johnson by Ken Burns called Unapolo- uh, Unforgivable Blackness is the name of the documentary. Great film. Check it out. They were talking in that segment about being unapologetically blackness, close, right? Unforgivable blackness, unapologetically blackness. It was said in that sound clip by a non-white person, VGQ, Victims Guaranteed Qualified, but it was stated that Jack Johnson was unapologetically black because he would engage in sexual activity with a white woman and, you know, didn't care. How does that make one unapologetically black, quote unquote, whatever that means, just because you're willing to be sexually sewered by a white person? Words. That's why I emphasize on this broadcast, specifically the cows in general, and certainly for the compensatory call in, really being mindful about what we say, because frequently and I mean, it'll be people with PhDs, like degrees and titles uh, that come out to speak about racism, white supremacy. And that's the sort of thing that you get on many levels. I am left confused. What does that mean? Continuing uh, the museum 
that is supposed to recognize the history of lynchings of black people in the United States. I know we have a good number of callers in Alabama, a big victim caller in Alabama. Seems like a good number of you all. Uh, If anyone has had a chance to check it out or think you might go check it out, uh, let us know. In fact, make a report. Maybe you can, you know, do a recording audio, video, something, I'd be happy to post it or play it. Uh, But any of the folks in the Alabama area or anywhere else, if you, you know, make a trip to go down and check out the museum, uh, let us know what you think. I am ambivalent about it, at least. At least it, I can, I can articulate it this way. There was a documentary that came out recently about Stephen Lawrence, black male killed in the UK, he was stabbed to death by a gang of racist thugs in 1992. It took almost two decades before they prosecuted anybody. They made a lot of documentaries on Stephen Lawrence. We've had his mother on the program more than once. Go back in the archives. They did a, the BBC. They did a documentary the past few days or so. Long doc, like three hours going over all this 20 years of white, white terrorism with this case. And I was saying, you know, yeah, it's good information. I watched it. Good information, I guess. But again, all this focus on dead black people. Whites love this focus on dead black people. The hate you give. Dead black people. They love that. They just got a new documentary on Sandra Bland. Haven't seen it. Not motivated to see it. They crank these out all the time. Uh, They had that one on Jordan Davis. I didn't watch that one either. All the time. Who is the most recent black person to die? Oh, let's do, you know, a film project on them. Dr. Curry talked about uh, talked about this. That becomes the only way that you can think about black people is death. Uh, And I'm just I'm not going to be excited about any museums or memorials that are around uh, black death, especially when it's phrased from that segment, when it's phrased as this is a part of reconciliation. Like that's where I lean. It's not even a lean. That's where I really begin to feel nauseous. Like, yeah, I don't need to see this at all. Uh, let's just end the system of racism, white supremacy, as opposed to constructing monuments and memorials to how we have been terrorized. I also think it's hugely significant, like enough that I can repeat it. I think it's hugely significant that they're not saying terrorism. They're saying terror. It's the same thing. The word terrorism for what? And I mean, some people might say, oh, Gus, come on. ISM, is it that big? Yes, it's that big that you can only say terrorism when whites are the perceived victims. When it's black people, we got to push to discrimination, prejudice. The closest we can get is terror, but yeah. prejudice, white privilege, anything but being accurate and using the most correct words possible. Uh, next, uh, there were quite a few things. The the segment, I guess I could put these together. The piece where they were talking about the uh, gang list in Chicago, and they said uh, the report: eighty nine percent of African American males in Chicago, twenty to twenty nine, are on this gang registry. Allegedly, wow! Black male privilege running rampant in the windy city of Chicago. You can add that with Bill Cosby too, flexing his black male privilege for the week. Uh, I had a few other things, but I could have talked about a lot of the clips this week. For some reason, they were intriguing for a variety of different reasons. I guess I will say something about the Young Turks uh, piece really quick. 
They are the worst. We've listened to them for years, talked about them for years. I'm still under the impression that a sizable number of non-white people think that the Young Turks are great uh, and that these are, are racists or whites who are on the edge or these are whites who are not racist and doing all that they can to try to solve this problem and using their platform to point out racism, white supremacy. Obviously, for the years now, I do not agree, and I try to point that out regularly when we play their clips, but that one in particular, to have a black female stripped nude uh, in a Waffle House uh, over 50-cent plastic utensils, and they say, well, let's put the race issue to the side. That's the central issue. It's not Oh, well, they don't do this to rich people who live out in Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah, all of the black people uh, live out in Beverly Hills. They don't deal with this. That's not what it is at all. And whites like the folks at the Young Turks uh, and worldwide, they do this sort of thing all the time to generate confusion where they consistently are just moving it away from. No, it's a system of racism, white supremacy. And this sort of terrorism is reserved for you niggers. We do this sort of thing to niggers, 50 cent fork, whatever. You can dial that right now. That, and I also thought that clip was important beyond, you know, just the Young Turks reporting on it. I talk about this all the time. The going out to those restaurants and what have you, I've said consistently, that should be a major part of our code. Avoid all of that eating out. There's so many levels of racism when you're going out to eat. With, I mean, even after all of that, let's say that it didn't end with her being terrorized and stripped nude and all of that. Let's say it just, you know, I pay you 50 cents, whatever it is. And she pays her 50 cents. They give her the food. Do you really want to eat that after you've had all of that conflict over, you know, <laughs> a fork or a spoon or whatever it is. That's the first component. The second component, when I talked about it, I think, or it's not, I think this week during the program on exactly what happened when Gus T had the explosion uh, at the yoga studio a few days ago, huge eruption where a white woman had to be restrained at the end of this conflict with Gus T. That will be coming up this week. But it reminded me these sort of situations when you're out in public and we've talked about it, we've done programs on it in like five minutes, you could be facing a life or death situation. That is what white supremacy, racism and war being waged against black people. That's what it means. Like recognizing that immediately, like any of these little situations where you go out, you're in public. If it's a conflict over a parking spot or you're in line someplace like, whoa, wait a minute. If this is a conflict with a white person, someone that I think is white. Oh, man, I could end up dead in jail like this could be a major incident of terrorism in a very short period of time. Let me not forget or minimize that at all. In fact, it might be best for me to leave immediately. I try to emphasize that as much as possible. That was the way I was functioning in my situation. I was trying to exit as soon as possible because these situations can become volatile quickly. And generally, whites, they're going to have an army. That's what white race means. They're going to have an army of other whites generally armed ready to come and do battle you as a black person you do not and too frequently not understanding white supremacy racism we function as though we got you know that army behind us that will come and assist us and we don't really be mindful of that when we're out in public spaces if it looks like things could get explosive could get volatile 
We and I think you heard that in the clip when things looked like they were starting to get bad. I think uh, the the victim in that segment, I think her friend was saying, "Yeah, we need to, you know, let's try and get out of here. It's not even worth it." And that is what we should be advocating. Keep that in mind. If enforcement officials get called, if other whites get called, you don't know if these folks are on drugs, if these racists, if they're on drugs, if they're armed, all of the above. Keep that in mind. The system of white supremacy is dangerous. It takes very, very little to justify any level of violence or abuse against black people. I had other things, but I'm sure you all have commentary for this broadcast specifically. If we could not use metaphors, in fact, if we have anybody, since I'm still struggling with the flood, I don't have my word guide. If anybody has Mr. Fuller's word guide, could you check to see if true colors uh, is in the word guide Show or show your true colors? I don't know how uh, it would be written out. I'm pr- I'd be willing to, to wager a dollar on that one that I think that is in the word guide. Show, you, show your true colors. That's what they said about uh, Bill Cosby in that final segment. But no metaphors. Uh, Many of the metaphors, cliches, uh, similes that are used, rehashed in the system of white supremacy, they support white supremacist concepts and thinking. Many of them, we're not even, you know, thinking consciously about this. Racists, not only do they use these metaphors to support white supremacist concepts and ideas, they use frequently a lot of metaphors just to create confusion and spread lies. They will often take two concepts and insist, oh, yeah, these are equivalent. Darn near twins. Not true at all. They do this regularly. Non-white people, including Gus T., we are victims. We've been exposed to this deception for years And many of us, including myself, we are still learning. We've not come to conclusions uh, on some issues. And as such, we might not have the logic needed to articulate our thoughts. So we'll substitute and use a metaphor. Often that does not help at all. It just produces a lot more confusion. Uh, If we could not use metaphors, be explicit, direct about what it is you want to say, if you need more time to think, Great. Take time. I do that myself. I will prompt about the metaphors. Number again, 641-715-3640, code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. If you could take five minutes to share your comments, whatever you need to say, uh, that way everybody gets an opportunity to speak. Once you've uh, used your five, uh, if you have additional comments or questions you need to get in, if you could allow everybody one chance to speak. And then if you have additional comments, questions, we should have time for you to share. Also, if you could please use your mute button. If you know you're in a noisy environment, you got other people around you. You're watching television, whatever's going on for your Saturday evening, just use your mute button. Uh, You can unmute yourself so that you can speak. And then once you're done, just mute your line. Uh, And then when you want to speak again, unmute just helps preserve the quality of the broadcast. And we don't have to fight over all of the disruptions going on in the background. Much appreciated. Uh, That said, uh, first few folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open. If you have commentary you would like to share, proceed. 
Hi there. Hey, Greetings, you? Thomas in New York. Greetings, Gus. Um, greetings to all the callers. Um, very good clips this week, as always. Um, every nigger is a star. And I love the clip uh, with Joaquin Noah. Cleveland goes to Cleveland. Um, but I'm going to start there. Um, Flint, Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago were all mentioned this week. I'll add Columbus and St. Louis, all very big cities in the Midwest, Indianapolis as well, all being under attack right now by white supremacy. Um, I would say it's the front lines of the race war that's being um, implemented by white people right now. Uh, the whole region of the country, straight down the middle, straight down the path. They want to build their NAFTA highways. Um, all black people being removed, either by one another or by white people with gentrification. And um, it's terrible. Um, the Waffle House arrest. I hate the Young Turks. That analogy, um, this equating this to the people of some rich person in Beverly Hills, this had nothing to do with class. This had nothing to do with money. It would have been a better analogy to compare it to just a white family at McDonald's if this had happened to them. Um, no. So I think that that was just um, one of their ways of using white obfuscation to obfuscate away from the real problem, which is racism, white supremacy. And another ism they don't like to use thus is racism. They like to use race, but never racism. They don't like to put the isms. Um, uh, I've only seen three lynchings in my entire life, like live lynchings, and they were all on TV. And unfortunately, um, one of those people was Saddam Hussein. Um, and all I remember was one of the his comrades that they lynched that same, um, I don't remember if it was the same day or the next day, but uh, when the when he, the rope snapped, his whole head popped off, and they always miscalculated the weight, and it was just um, terrible. So... Um, I'm, I don't think I want to go to a lynching museum. However, I do think it's important for our people to uh, see those images, to internalize what's been done, done to us and continuing to be done to us. Uh, I think a lot of people can equate the modern day, um, I've heard them compare the police shootings to modern day lynchings. Um, and I, I think that in some points that, that is pretty true. So. A, a public display of a black person being killed. That's what I mean is true. So I, I think that, um, but to have a whole museum dedicated to this, I, I do think that's uh, most of the people that's going to go to that museum will be white people. Um, Bill Cosby, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, Gus, um, I hope he put everything he owns in trust um, this way that the white supremacists, these white women can't um, get money from his estate for this, this whole thing. I think it's a sad day. I think, um, you know, whether he did it or not, I, it's up for debate. But he's going to jail, so that's what it is. I just want to see um, Roger Ailes, Bill O'Reilly, Matt Lauder, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, who had sex with a minor male. I would like to see them go to jail as well and get the same treatment. I'll mute my line. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, how you doing, Gus? This is a uh, caller victim from out of New Jersey. Um, I'm going to be real fast. Your uh, volume is very low. Uh, if you could speak okay, up, that would second. be helpful. 
Is this better? That's an improvement. Okay. Yeah. So, um, first I want to touch on, uh, Meek Mills. So, uh, it's a celebration about Meek Mills, uh, being released from jail. I thought about you, how you says when, uh, white people come together and they want to get things done, they get things done. Uh, the governor, um, owner of the New England Patriots and also the owner of the uh, basketball team, uh, Philadelphia 76ers, all was in agreement that Meek Mills was wronged and they pressed the judge, black judge, by the way, to uh, release him. Um, now, while everybody's celebrating and happy for Meek Mills being released, this is also the town where Bill Cosby has just been convicted, um, where Mumia Abu-Jamal is still a prisoner, and it's also the town of the move bombings. Um, to move on, you spoke about uh, black people uh, being, uh, uh, how can I say, memorialized in death. Um, just heard a cl- just heard an interview with Mike Brown's mother, and they also have a death film coming out. But what caught my ear and caught my attention was the suspected white gentleman who's presenting himself as an ally when he says that this film is important so we so white people can see that police brutality is real in black communities. And I'm paraphrasing. Um, I'm one that believes that white people are not ignorant. To give you an example of that, um, I was at work. Uh, this woman looked it mentally disabled, but this this mentally disabled uh, or physically disabled woman, white woman, she was sane enough to recognize that I was a nigga. As I was crossing the street, she says, get out the way, nigga. I looked. As I seen her wobbling along in her physically and look like mentally disabled state, she was sane enough to recognize that I was a nigger and I should get out of there. Um, that's all for now. Hmm. Sound like you might have been practicing some ableism, as they say, uh, maybe even some black male privilege since, you know, you have full functional use of your body. And she was struggling a little bit. You said it looked like she might have been having some some difficulties. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all joke joke other folks we've not heard from at all if you have a commentary you would like to share line should be open proceed can I be heard big victim in Alabama how you doing good right poorly all right um, let me set my clock uh, five minutes all right. Um, I heard the, about the museum in Montgomery. It's the first I've heard of it. Um, they should. White people love to have have um, museums after they lynch us and had a way with us. They try to make a dollar off of it. They probably have Sandra Bland. They need to put Sandra Bland up in there and Mike Brown, uh, Tamir Rice. Uh, uh, you know, they need to put them up in there. 
But I'll try to get down there and give you a, get you a report on that. Yes. Also, um, the autonomous technology. Um, I'm invested in that technology in a stock called in in Viva. I think it's in Viva. Yeah. They over that that type of technology. It's selling at two hundred and twenty six dollars this week. So you might as well try to make some money off of it. White people gonna—they're not gonna stop it. They just little, did a little show just to act like they gonna protest it and everything. But it's, it's coming. So you might as well try to go out there and make a dollar off of it. Um, also to all the victims out there, what else? Uh, yeah, I want to also comment on meat mills. I believe the white supremacists went in there, they had a talk with him, and I think his lyrics will be, I think his lyrics are going to be washed down, he's going to start putting, you know, I think he's going to start putting out, and I like Meek Mills, I think he's a good kid and everything, you know, I, I heard him talk one day about, you know, taking care of your mama and moving out the hood and everything, I saw that on Facebook, but. I think they gonna water, you know. I I think they 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 step to him to take his take his um, voice away from him, the power of his voice. And we gonna let you out, but we nigga, we don't want you getting on there saying anything to get it, that's gonna make these Negroes think out here on these streets. So I think they step to him like that. And um, Bill Cosby, I think they. It was another high-tech lynching like Clarence Thomas back in uh, was that was the early 90s, late 80s. I think it's another just a high-tech. I don't believe none of those women, black and white. I believe it was back in the days where they were having wild parties. Their careers didn't take off and everything. Now they just want to come up and... Uh, Bill Cosby getting old. They don't want that. They don't want that money to pass down to his children. So the white supremacists, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the little small, the one percent of the white supremacists, uh, want that money passed down to the. Don't want that money to be passed down to his children, so they can. Uh, um, enjoy life. Also, let me see what else. Uh, who else I want to talk about? Uh, that's it for right now. The fellow victims. Thanks for letting me share. Yes, sir. Uh, I think Washdown, uh, with regards to Meek Mill's lyrics, that might be a metaphor. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all, uh, any folks that we missed completely, if you have a hand up, Line should be open. Sorry about that. No apologies needed. Can I be heard? Greetings, Emmy. Greetings, beautiful people. Uh, first thing, I wanted on the record, on the air, I want a t-shirt, and I will be collecting data about how I'm treated uh when I wear this shirt around. I'm curious, because I'm in Virginia, so I suspect that perhaps the response might be a little different 
if it gets a little too, you know, dangerous, if it, if that happens, then we'll see. Because it's different. Well, I won't say it's different, but it's Virginia. I'll just say I live in Virginia. Um, I feel really, really bad, Lee. I mean, it's totally expected, um, but uh, with what's going on with Bill Cosby, him being found guilty, um, I just will put it on the air. It really won't change anything for me. Uh, I think Bill Cosby did amazing work and did good things. So as far as I'm concerned, when you point your finger, there's like four pointing back at you. I don't know if that's a metaphor or not. Maybe it's a proverb or a parable or something. I'm not sure. But um, so, yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, I still there are a whole bunch of white people out here that like have done far worse things if he did do it. And I don't hear their names. For instance, the so-called father of seventh heaven. I still don't hear anything about that pedophile. So anyway, um, the first half of the clips or the first portion of the clips I thought was very interesting because they were a collection of, you know, a lot of feelings, black people having a lot of feelings about being called nigger and so forth. And uh, in no way, shape or form is it amusing, but there is something that happens when you begin to observe a pattern. And I just think about the awesomeness of Mr. Fuller's work and Dr. Welsing's work, because I think they just really foresaw, I mean, it was happening then, but really could foresee it being now. And really, if you can train yourself to not respond emotionally to things like that, I think we, um, it will be very helpful and constructive for us in the near future like individually just get prepared to be called nigger anytime and not respond or anything. Um, and just, yeah. Um, I was, um, I'm not so sure there's, uh, I forget the specific clip, so forgive me, but um, a teacher played a song and shouldn't have played the song. I'm not even so sure like that that is uh, necessarily true. Like that the teacher shouldn't have played the song. I think if, you know, the only, there's nothing wrong with playing the song, in my opinion, BGQ for me, um, because I think really young people need to know the world they live in. So depending on how it's being deconstructed or what's being taught about it, even if the child takes that home, that's a learning opportunity. That's a great learning opportunity. And I'm not so sure the lesson should be, we go to the news and say, oh my God, this, you know, teacher did this, did this, this, did whatever. Um, I'm not so sure that that is really constructive individually or collectively. Um, I wanted to say just because I didn't want to wait, because I'm so excited. I wouldn't be able to wait till Thursday. Um, I failed an exam about a, maybe a month or five weeks ago. I devoted all my time in the past four to five weeks and not failing again. I have never really felt, I've never, not something I studied for, um, and I took an exam on Wednesday. Like, literally, y'all, I've been so stretched thin. It's like I'm having nightmares about organic chemistry. But I got an A. And I just wanted to share that with y'all because some of y'all had said some really positive things to me. And I took that seriously and, you know, gave it what I, what I could. And so I'm not through yet. I can still do poorly in the course, but I'll fill y'all in. But just thank you if you sent me any positivity or positive vibes. I'm really grateful. The last thing I wanted to say is, because I also don't want to wait until Thursday to mention this, is I had mentioned on workplace racism, a situation, I work in the pharmacy, a situation between white pharmacists and a black pharmacist. 
And I told y'all that I was going to say something the very next time I worked with this black pharmacist. Well, I did on Friday. And I mean, immediately, like I was like, boom, I didn't want to wait. Like, let's just go ahead and have this conversation. And I was so uh, pleased and, and elated at the way the conversation went. Cause I didn't really script it that well. I didn't really know how to say it. So the minute he brought up something I thought I could kind of weave in, I did. And I just did my thing like, yo, we should just have this conversation real quick. Um, but number one, he, you know, was like, he showed me that number one, he is very much aware of all of this. Number two, he repeated over and over about again, how confident he is in his work. And I just was beaming on the inside. I didn't want to kind of like smile too hard at work and like, this girl is crazy, but I was beaming because I was like, I know that's right. You know, you stand by what you do, despite whatever these people are doing. And my only thing, the way like that, I kind of made sure, you know, it's not like I'm over here talking about people. As I said, anything you need from me, you just let me know how best to help you. And I'm more than happy to do whatever it is that needs to be done. And so, you know, we talked. And so that way we can be a good team when we're together. And so I was just very, very happy about that because he was open to it. It wasn't like it didn't turn nasty or like take a turn in a way that would be non-constructive for either one of us, you know, and I think that we understand each other and have maybe a little more trust is more trust than maybe before, but not like excessive. It's like workplace trust. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's appropriate levels of trust. And I just thought, I think that's great because he's brown and black. I'm brown and black. So I like it. Like it, it felt good. And, um, and I also addressed with him that whole cleaning the pharmacy thing. And I, I, I expressed, Hey, I have no problem doing it, but I'm gonna make a spreadsheet and she and I can fill it out. And he said, no, 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 no. This is how I want it done. And he did, he didn't want me to be scrubbing down the pharmacy. Um, so we talked about how that should look. And I just felt so relieved that I had a constructive conversation with a black person in my workplace. If it turns, if it ends up not being good, I will let y'all know, but I'm just happy about that. And I'm just in a good mood. So thank you all for listening. And I hope you're well. What a great week uh, for Emmy. Wow. Get some black academic excellence uh, and then some black self-respect that is spectacular workplace racism is thursday 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific but uh we are super super proud uh to hear about your classroom triumph knew you could do it remember you talking about your exam previously and making sure that you're not all stressed and anxious this time and just being confident that you you've done the work you've done the studying you know Organic chemistry, no problem, as demonstrated. Congratulations. Uh, Other folks that we have not heard from at all, uh, number again is 641-715-3640. The code 564943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, Other folks, if you have a hand up, if we have not heard from you at all, uh, proceed. May I be heard? Greetings, Red in Nevada. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Hello, everyone. Um, Hope everyone is well as well. Uh, The first thing um, about the true colors term, I do have the word guide. It says, um, true colors, avoid using this term. When others use the term, ask them to explain in detail exactly what they mean. And it says, questions, what is meant when a person is said to have shown his or her true colors? What exactly 
is the color of a person that is so-called true? What exactly is the color of a person that is so-called false? So just wanted to share that to answer the question. Um, the information I wanted to share this week um, briefly, and then I have some information, and then I have some um, comments about the clip. Uh, I think it was last week, yeah, on the 23rd um, from Las Vegas Review Journal, the front page news was uh, clinics in peril, basically talking about how they're possibly losing funding for um, some clinics within Las Vegas for addicts because there's no, they don't have um, state tax here. So they were just talking about how they get their funding from another nonprofit organization, but they didn't say where and how they could be closing um, this particular uh, center called Westcare. It operates in 19 states and three countries, but they could be closing one particular type of location, uh, one, one of their types of uh, centers. Then also, um, it says a man running for office despite his 2015 conviction. And I feel like this is another instance. Um, I read a, a story a couple of weeks back where um, they had a white man, they had a bunch of different men, um, males and men, who were some type of involved sexually with children, but the white men didn't get um didn't have to register on the sex registry list and the black males who basically did a, the same thing or something similar did have to register had to get drug tested for life and whatever but with this article basically it's the same thing he was an ex-probationary officer um, who pled guilty to a charge of having sex with a pregnant teenager while he worked at the county's ju juvenile uh, detention center but now he's um, trying to run for Clark County public administrator and he'll and in the article it says how he just wants to get put it past them and he didn't really do it and I just thought that that was funny and then also in the article it does not say anything about him having to register as a sex offender and then later on in the article it talks about how he um, choked out a woman who he was dating because apparently she wouldn't leave but still um, despite him being convicted he's still uh, trying to run for office now to the clip um, I thought, I guess the, the funny thing, I actually laughed, was uh, the clip about the radio host, who the, the white racist who was using the word nigger, and how he said, one of his comments, he said um, he gave $25,000 to feed the blacks down the hill. I thought that was hilarious. But, um, you know, just, I'm like, if you, that that's a clear indication that this man is racist. You know, you can, you could give money and he specifically said the blacks like you know the i'm not going to use the metaphor um the the thing about the clip about the lynching it definitely made me think about um the book i'm reading it's taken me a long time to get through it but it's um with ida b wells book on lynching and how it really just details not just her account but she also takes accounts from other newspapers around that same time where they they you know they use the word brute they use the word outrage a lot um, a Negro was accused of outraging a white woman. And not only did you kill the Negro, but you killed the whole family, um, you, children, uh, wives, everyone. So it's like it, it goes past, you know, just them just kind of killing just the person who they accused. And some of the, in, in some of the times where she wrote in the, in the book, it just says no reason given. So it, it goes past them saying, well, you know what, the, the white um, newspaper 
I don't know, employee, journalist, whatever. It's like, oh, well, we just need to make up for this. But no, they didn't even, in the newspaper articles, they didn't include that they would kill a whole family just off of an accusation. And um, the last thing that I'll share was that the first, I think it might've been one of the first few clips about the, the white man who wrote a book. The last part of the book was War of the Future about the autonomous guns. But he said that he would not have, when he was in the war, he wouldn't have killed the little girl who was scouting out their location. And I felt like that was a lie because it taught me, it brought me, um, it made me think about Chris Kyle's book and how he was calling them savages and all other kind of words. I'm like, you're just lying. And then also how Chris Kyle, he had said that he did some type of training or a covert mission in um, New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. And then the, the term treaties to me during that same segment, it made me feel like, okay, well, this just means that white people, different groups of white people will secretly build guns and hope that the other white people don't find out that they're secretly building these guns that everybody agreed to not uh, build. And I'll mute my line. Thank you for allowing me to share. Appreciate that, Red and Nevada. I'm so glad that you brought up Chris Kyle. I I stopped talking at the beginning because I had there were so many different things that came to mind <clears throat> as I was listening to the clips. That was one exactly. I thought of that exact the book club, Chris Kyle. When I say the hate you give is the worst book we've read on the book club. The book club has been around for six years. We have read a lot of material, including Chris Kyle, American Killer. I mean, American Sniper. That's how he starts the book, talking about, I think it was a young girl and her mom, and they were savages, and you're gosh darn right, we gunned them down. And that's what to, to Chris Kyle, American Sniper. We read the book, saw the film uh, as well, but I thought the exact same thing, like this is a massive propaganda key, uh, piece because white people don't empathize with black people, period. Waffle House incident, either one, or... Uh, the same thing about Chris Kyle. Like, I know how you all function uh, with regards to war and your conduct, whether it's domestically or internationally. I know how you function. So, yeah, I thought that was total lie, total propaganda. Thanks to Chris Kyle. Other folks that we've not heard from at all, if you have commentary, proceed. Now be heard. Yes, sir. Hey, peace, Gus. Uh, can I please uh, do uh, five, ten seconds of silence for the brothers in Oklahoma City that was murdered and and in a pond? Can I do five seconds for them, brothers, and just in 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 memory of them? Uh, what what incident happened uh, in Oklahoma City? Where, where... come on, man, Jerron, Keontae. And the Moreland and Elijah uh, uh, Ramon Smith, the brothers that was found in the pond that were murdered and dismembered. I just wanted to at least give them respect. Just give them five seconds of silence. That, that's all. It's, it's not that I'm opposed to doing it. I just hadn't heard about the incident. I was, you know, hoping if you could give a little bit more detail because I suspect I might not be the only one who hadn't heard about this incident. So you haven't heard about the okay. No, sir. Well, yeah, there were there were there were uh, two young gentlemen that were murdered and dismembered, and um, they were thrown in a pond in Oklahoma City, and um, they found four people. It's, I mean, it's 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 major news. I don't know how to like. I don't I don't know what to say. Uh, 
do you know details yeah. on what happened? I mean, the just any any yeah, specifics I can read that you, you know? I can read you. I can read you. I can read you a really long article, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. But, I mean, I can really. Um, yeah, the two were arrested uh, April seventeenth uh, at the property Oakland. Now I'm not going to read all this. Man. It's, it's like a really young. But there were some brothers that got murdered by some white supremacists. And um, there were four of them, and they actually chopped them up, put them in a pond, and um, kind of hid it. But they got caught. So, um, yeah, that that's, that's really big news. I, everybody around the country heard about it because it was really big news. But oh, okay, I'm looking at it now. I guess one thing I would give, and this isn't isn't for you, just one thing I would try to refrain from making assumptions that people know about a report regardless about what it is because I can guarantee regardless of how big it is and how much has been reported a whole lot of people have probably not heard and this is something that happened in the last 24 hours so I mean hey if you missed uh, looking at the newspaper or at least all of the reports that I'm seeing were reported in the last 24 hours so I'm sure a whole lot of people have not seen this at all Um, but thank you for bringing it to our attention I apologize yeah, I apologize. And they were actually meeting them. Um, I guess it was like they were meeting them to, like, purchase guns from them or something, and it went wrong or whatever. I don't know all the details because they're, they're not going to give you the details. But apparently these these brothers was going to meet these guys to purchase guns from these people, and they ended up chopped up. In, in pieces in the swamp in Oklahoma City. So I was just, yeah, yeah, it, it's tragic. Wow. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. But yeah, I will. I'll, I'll send you some information as it goes along. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Much um, of Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you good, man. Um, that that really that that really hurt me. But okay, so. What about the um oh no, hold on, babe. I'm on live, babe. So, um my gosh. Hold on, give me one second, Gus. Okay. So as far as what you were talking about with the um the uh, uh the the BIE, right? Let's let's talk about the BIE. At what point do you consider the the black identity extremist? That's that's what I wanted to ask you about. Because if you um, identify as somebody that wants to protect your home, or if you you know anti-gun, not not guns, whatever, they're putting people on BIE lists, and they're really doing it. Like I mean, and that that can really hinder you. So what's your take on the BIE? What would consider what would you consider capable or eligible for BIE? Are you familiar with BIE? Yes, sir. Uh black identity okay. extremists. Uh yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean Yeah, and, you... and I mean what I'm saying. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I was gonna ask answer your question. Did you have more because I thought you did ask a, a question. Yes, sir. Okay. My your question about uh, black identity extremists, I think whomever racists decide 
they want to identify as a black identity extremist, that's who will be labeled as such. That's my understanding following counter-racist logic, given the system that we have. Meaning, if they decide today, April 28th, that Gus T is going to be on the black identity extremist list, that's what it'll be. Uh, if they, you know, pick out anybody, let's say John Taylor, black male who is not talking about counter-racism at all, is not talking about white supremacy, is just going about their business and, you know, not bothering whites. But if they say, John Taylor, we decide he's going to be a black identity extremist today at 7.58 p.m. Pacific time, that's what it'll be. That's what racism, white supremacy means. So you just have to make a decision about, you know, what you are doing and just try to use logic as best you can to think, could this, you know, land me on the, the BIE list? And, you know, if so, am I still willing to do it? That's just the way that you have to think. And I mean, this is nothing new. Back in the 50s and 60s, they had the what they call House on Un-American Activities uh, Committee, uh, where they had people, uh, black people, even some white people got in trouble for that. And then they had their Pro uh, campaign. So, I mean, they just come up with new terms, but it's the same thing. If we decide that you might be making trouble for our business, you know, we got a list that we'll put your name on. And that's that. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I love you, Gus. Yo, you the man. Okay, my last comment is, as far as your T-shirts, that says, um, what's the T-shirt say? Please Uh, respect me like I am a white person. Okay, and I I love it, but make a T-shirt that says, respect me like a copper-colored indigenous man to this land. Oh, that's totally that's totally different from what <laughs> my thought process was with uh, okay, the shirt. That's on uh, you. Yeah. All right. Thank you for very that much, brother. Yes, sir. Please. Yes, sir. I had a lot of people who that came up over the years since the shirt came out where people wanted, you know, a shirt that said that that's totally, totally different uh, from my thought process and where I was with the shirt. Uh, those are easy to make. I didn't even want to make them and got more shirts than I could possibly ever wear. So folks can do easily do t-shirt experiments if you have uh, ideas and I will post the information that uh, the mail caller shared uh, about the incident in Oklahoma City. I guess the other point I would emphasize is, you know, I do try to remind folks, black people are killed in large numbers every day. That's why I make a point of emphasizing. I don't, you know, I do not run around in the streets protesting about any of the police shootings. I don't jump up and down on uh, Twitter or social media about any of the police shootings because this happens every day. You would just be worn out. Uh, To really make a point of emphasizing that, regardless of what individual incident happens and how gruesome and grisly it is, the system of white supremacy demands that these instances happen constantly in huge numbers for a variety of different reasons. So keep that in mind. You have black people dying in huge numbers all the time all over the world. But I will post a report about what's going on in Oklahoma City. Other folks that we've not heard from at all, if you have commentary, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Mr. Steele? Yes. Greetings. We can hear you. Yes, uh, this is uh, perfect. Uh, This is uh, Ken Steele. I'm calling in from uh, Keno, California. And I want to start off my call by saying that... um, uh, T'Challa dies in Infinity War. I don't know what that means, uh, but I heard that uh, that might save you two hours and 30 minutes. So T'Challa dies in Infinity War. 
just wanted to say that. Um, and also, um, this verdict that uh, has uh, has been um, had in the Cosby um, case and the Cosby situation, um, I, you know, this is completely steeped in the system of white supremacy. I've always contended that uh, that um, that Bill Cosby needs to be considered uh, completely innocent by all victims of racism, white supremacy, simply because uh, of the history that we know that um, that these people uh, will will say lies, especially when it comes to um, black males and uh, and sexuality. And um, I really do think that this verdict is probably uh, on par with the um, with the George Zimmerman verdict um, in terms of how it will uh, represent kind of a, um, kind of a a shift in the um, I guess the norms because. For me, uh, when I uh, take a look at things um, from my perspective, it just became, uh, it seemed to become uh, a more normal occurrence to hear stories about black people being lynched um, for various reasons um, uh, by race soldiers. So uh, I think that after this situation, you're going to hear of more black males uh, in particular being accused of crimes that took place supposedly decades ago and the burden of proof for these crimes is going to be lowered to the mere accusation. And uh, if they can sustain that accusation, um, then uh, it will be considered uh, as good as guilt. Um, and, uh, it's, it's seriously, uh, one of the most troubling, um, um, rulings. And I think that, uh, again, I think that every single one of those accusers are lying. And I think that Bill Cosby is 100% innocent. And I think that if you have a bit of self-respect, you'll take that position as well as self-defense. Anyway. Um, uh, I, I just want to say, uh, to finish out, um, again, um, T'Challa dies in Infinity War. You, you don't need to spend the money to see, um, that cartoon. You can go ahead and read a book instead. Ken Steele, and I'm going to move my line. Reading is more important than watching television context of white supremacy uh if other folks dialed in if you have uh commentary you would like to share folks we have not heard from at all if you have commentary you'd like to share uh line should be open proceed love you greetings ivy greetings gus and greetings to all the callers on the line um young turks they're racist um one example there was a man on there, a black man who said, um, who was talking about how the, uh, 
this the, the lie that the the black men are absentee fathers that that has you know been debunked and then uh one of the people who worked at the the young turks jumped in and said yeah and uh even if they are it's uh it's white people's fault because they locked them up and on the surface that sounds good but really what they were doing was just slipping in the narrative or slipping in the narrative that black men in general are absentee fathers and trying to contradict the fact that he stated the facts that, that that lie has been uh, proven as a lie has been, has been disproven. Um, congratulations to Emmy for, you know, her getting, you know, an incredible grade, um, in a very, uh, difficult field. Not surprised at all, as I said, you know, and as we all know, you know, she's brilliant. She teaches math and science. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. Bill Cosby is not guilty at all. Um, these women lied. Melanoid Nation has, a, has an article uh, that came out, you know, a while ago before the trial um, exposing the lies that, that these women were caught in um, about talking about 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 the the these 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 so-called rapes these alleged rapes and how they were saying that these 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 rapes took took place in uh, places where he wasn't even he wasn't even there at the time he was on a plane or had already reached his destination people that um, you know, had not met him at these different places. And then someone else who was actually at the trial said the same thing, that, they, that there, there was a continuation of this, of just these, just these lies, just lie after lie after lie, they were saying. Um, so, so much for black male privilege, as you said, Gus, so much for sexism um, and justice for Bill Cosby. He's not guilty. He's innocent. They're lying. I'll mute my line. Thanks, Gus. Thanks, thanks everyone. Appreciate that, uh, Ivy. Uh, other folks, uh, we missed you completely. If you have a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Hello, can I be heard? Ooh, uh, let's see. Two. Uh, we'll get Puff. Hey, thanks. Uh, been listening to the uh, program here. And um, all of this stuff seemed to be uh, re-traumatizing the victim. Uh, to me, the the man a few callers ago said a, said a good thing. He said an exact and an accurate thing, which is the Bill Cosby thing is so that, you know, blacks won't be able to pass down wealth because that is a – Bill Cosby owns – he owned his show. And so he's the only comedian that is paid at that level. And so uh, for him to pass that kind of wealth down, I mean, obviously Mr. Mr. Fuller says this all the time with uh, this is this is why it's racial dislocation, because when you start getting that second generation house, in other words, think of how much money you could save without having to buy a house. Each family member got to start over again. And, and spend, let's say, $1,500 on housing. You see what I'm saying? That's $1,500 gone out of the budget that you could have saved, you know, if you had a, a second-generation house and this type of thing. So uh, 
I, I noticed that, and uh, it's another another point I want to bring up is is a white a white pattern in that, and uh, to me over the in the in, the entertainment business is set up. To where you know they doing this, they doing this across the board. You know, with Matt Lauer and all of this type of stuff, where they have morality clauses in your contract, where as they don't have to pay you. So anytime somebody, you know, makes these kind of accusations, that's why you see in the news is is every you know every entertainer, you know, or whatever. So being brought up in the news or whatever you know, is is these kind of accusations so they won't have to pay them. And uh, I'll mute my line. Thank you. Mm, appreciate that, Puff. Uh, the other female caller who spoke up simultaneously, thank you for your patience. Did you want to proceed? Yes, Gus. Man, thanks for that, Puff. This caller from the 712, I just had a couple things. I was listening to the whole broadcast at work. I pulled out... Um, that feet when somebody kept saying that he had feet of clay well he didn't say it over and over again it just stuck out to me it's, it was in the yaki story or the uh, yaki if i'm pronouncing it right and i went and looked that up because i wanted to see what it means because i always i get real interested when people start using phrases and um it means a fundamental flaw or weakness in a person otherwise revered so you know, they revered him. And then um, for um, Mr. Jack Johnson, I just wanted to say that Jack Johnson, um, I believe he start, could be wrong, but I believe he started off in fighting because a long time ago, um, rich, racist, white supremacists used to pay, like, young people to fight each other, um, like a whole group of young people. And I think Jack Johnson was the best at that, and that's how – he got into boxing uh, mainstream for white people to enjoy. And I think I, I read about him a lot and uh, got a family member that's named after Jack Johnson. But I still think that he was a confused victim of racism by being, you know, having sex with those white women like that because I don't know. I just think he would have did better um, being married to a black woman and, I um, got a lot of information from all of the clips, and thank you so much for putting them together like you do, Gus, and I'll mute my line. Appreciate that. Have a lot of respect for the folks who uh, check on phrases. I think that came up in the segment where the whites were disgruntled about the prospect of, what is it, Yawkey uh, Street being changed in Boston, the former owner, uh, racist owner of the Red Sox. Uh, I know Jackie Robinson uh, talked a lot uh, about him and the white terrorism that he experienced uh, directly and that he saw uh, being uh, practiced against other black people at that time. But I think that came up in that clip uh, with regards to the, the feet of clay. Like, oh man, we can't just be uh, talking bad and taking the street names down of all of our revered racists. I mean, nobody's perfect. My goodness. what's what? And even in that clip, they said, what's going to come next? Is somebody going to take down Jefferson Place and Washington? What? Our raping, fondling, racist founding fathers? Maybe. If we eventually end the system of white supremacy, yes, that would be grand. We could take all that stuff down. Folks, we've not heard from at all. If you have commentary.
Can I be heard? Iman DC. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Greetings to you. Greetings to you, the host, the callers, and the listeners. I was going to speak about uh, two things. Uh, one thing is there has been, um, I guess it was called a petition, or whatever they called it. Uh, the city that I'm in, they're trying to be the first city to use drones um, to monitor the black community. Or, or to or a community, I guess, um, but it's going to be all monitoring the black community, um, and I, I'm pretty sure I've seen them, and I'm pretty sure they've been following me. Like I'm like looking and seeing them, and I've uh, when I was, uh, and I don't think that it's, I don't know that it's supposed to be out yet, or but anyway, um, in California, I know when I was driving. Um, just uh, driving through California on my way towards maybe LA, I was looking up in the sky and it looked like some of the stars were actually drones. I seen the wind blow and some of the drones, maybe I'll, my eyes were not working correctly, but it looked like um, that star line moved out of alignment and then moved back into alignment. Like, you know, they're just drones. Some of, some of those lights out there are just uh, the stars. Um, and maybe I'm incorrect, but uh, the other thing I was going to say is that being native or being indigenous to this particular part of the earth, we, we have so many levels of rights to kick white people off of this piece of earth. They came over here as an invasion. They haven't left. It's an invasion. It's a complete invasion. The number, the 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 numbers that have come over here is like I, I don't know how many hundred thousand that they report that they have here on this particular continent, but there's no other way to explain that but an invasion, and they have to leave. Um, we have, I guess, rights, whatever that means. I'm not sure how to how to say. But we have the what the right to kick them off. We just don't have the capability at the very moment but we need to uh, we need to figure out how to do it thank you appreciate that uh any folks that we've missed completely uh any callers that we've not heard from at all if you have a hand up uh and commentary to share line should be open proceed can i be heard greetings retired firefighter Greetings, Gus and everybody. Uh, I'll first start off with the, uh, the uh, I believe, the auto automatic weapon uh, uh, article uh, and the contradictions that was made by seemingly it sounded like a, uh, a white person uh, who was saying about his uh, uh, anxiety on killing children. Well, that's not synonymous with... Uh, with white people in reality on, on the, uh, desire to kill children. Uh, they, uh, have, uh, not been hesitant on not only killing children, but other quote unquote innocent people, uh, uh, who are called civilians. Uh, we could talk about, uh, world war two with the aerial bombardment, uh, uh, especially with those, uh, two terrible, uh, atomic bombs that were dropped on non-white people, uh, uh, 
matter of fact, some of the artifacts that was kept that still is still are kept now in in uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, uh, tricycles, different artifacts that are uh, handled by children, uh, the My Lai massacre, where uh, in 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 Vietnam an entire uh, village was wiped out by uh, uh, primarily a whole lot of white males. The matter of fact, the officer in charge uh, is from this part of the world that's called South Florida. Uh, and uh, Bill Cosby, Mr. William Cosby, uh, is a, uh, another example of the illusion that's, that uh, I would say uh, a lot of non-white people have. Uh, that because a non-white person has, uh, quote unquote, a lot of money, that uh, they are above uh, the system of racist white supremacy from getting mistreated and or deterred. Uh, and uh, uh, philosophically, uh, non-white people have a tendency when they see this happening, that we get real quiet. Uh, as far as that concern, uh, right now, as we're speaking, he is probably is wandering around in his home with a ankle bracelet on, uh, and uh, he do, he had to turn in his passport, and I'm pretty sure he did, uh, just like uh, me or anybody else that's on this line. Uh, I also remember the example of uh, the heavyweight champion of the world at the time, Michael Tyson. Uh, as he was being arrested on how he was actually handled. Uh, it was for a similar situation, as uh, I would guess most people would know, how uh, the uh, the officer, the white male officer, flipped up his, his uh, coat uh, tail, uh, similar to uh, uh, pulling up the dress of a female. Uh, uh, it was uh, sexual-like uh, 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 mistreatment that was done on him at a time, and he was the heavyweight champion in the world, which is at least symbolic of the quote-unquote baddest male on the planet. Uh, uh, going down to, uh, uh, yes, I had a, I had an experience uh, this week, uh, whereas you know, I, normally what I do on certain days, I go to this uh, park that's not far from my uh, place of residence uh, to do uh, some uh, cardio, you know, doing some walking. And uh, the park is normally during that time in the morning. It's full of people. Uh, I would say 99.99% of them are non-white black people who are trying to maintain themselves in a healthy, healthy condition. And for some reason, I'm sitting there with earphones on listening to Mr. Fuller. Uh, this white male comes up to me out of all the people that's out at this, at this uh, uh, park. He comes up to me. And before he can almost open his mouth, basically I took, took one of my earphones out uh, and he was coming up to me to make some kind of joke of some, some sort, some kind of tacky uh, uh, comment or whatever. And uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I would not apologize for it. I cussed him out. And it was loud enough that someone two miles away could have heard me. You know, what, what the F you coming up to me for? Get out my, you know, face. Quote unquote, uh, I didn't even want to have a, a conversation with him at all. Uh, anyway, that just goes to show you, though, I probably made some mistakes by doing it because, as as 
is being said, you know, a lot of bad things can happen to you when you uh, encounter a white person. Uh, they can go bad for you in two seconds. Uh, but anyway, uh, the retired firefighter is still here. Uh, 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 I have something else down here. Oh, uh, uh, this is uh, this is the uh, fourth uh, meeting of the uh, DCS uh, quote unquote mentoring program. Uh, that was the day uh, Mr. Clark's one of Mrs. Clark Mr. Clark's programs, and uh, I would just want to report that uh, we had a field trip. We took the uh, fellas out to a field trip. It actually was to a pool, a local pool, uh, not to frolic around, but to, uh, we had two instructors. Uh, I am proud to say that both of them were non-white black females. One was teaching uh, drown proofing uh, so they can uh, 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 get themselves out of trouble and or help someone else that's in trouble in the water. And the other female uh, instructor was uh, teaching CPR, and both of them did a great job. Uh, you can, you can, you can. I can. I was sitting there just observing their their motherly instinct, how they're able to have a even tone of voice, talking to these uh, uh, black males. It, it, it reminded me of of uh, Dr. Welsing and her uh, tone of voice and how calm and cool she was uh, through the time that I've known her. Uh, great job today. Uh, last but not least, uh, I, oh yeah, today on today's date, back in 1967, uh, was the date that uh, heavyweight champion of the world, Muhammad Ali, uh, in my in my opinion, uh, showed a tremendous amount of self-respect by refusing to take a step forward to get drafted. Uh, and, uh, without, and, and he knew ahead of time that he was going to have to go through a whole lot, but he made the, he made the bold, the bold, uh, uh, decision to refuse to get drafted, uh, into the United States army at the time on this date back in 1967. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Appreciate that. Uh, the legend, Muhammad Ali. Other folks we've not heard from at all. If you have commentary, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, caller in Florida. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, I know someone had mentioned about the uh the different monuments and the statues named after um i think was that dr wilson came up with the fondling fondling fathers i believe and like the hypocrisy that uh these people are well revered and uh mr cosby is accused of a sex crime but yet they weren't they weren't clearly able to prove this but um, the victims of racism have on many occasions um, brought into white people's attention, like, hey, like, these people have done horrible things to uh, our ancestors, and they are greatly dismissive of the things and the crimes they've done, the racist acts they, they've committed. But they want to definitely show a lot of eager and intense uh, feelings to 
make sure I guess in their in their minds uh, put Bill Cosby I guess in jail or whatever like it's justice for them and I do want to point out that I think that's when you had um you rewinded the the clip I think she said the term like historical or something I hadn't really heard of that term uh, I have to ask for you know <laughs> for a definition for that uh, I think it was a, another clip where I think it was a black firefighter and he was, I think he was saying like how he observed another black person being mistreated, I guess the guy himself and maybe another black person ended up being fired. And they said that um, black people are non-white people are three times is I think is able to be fired next to a white person. I'm not even, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it was larger than that, the statistics. Um, and there was a, there was the, the other clip where the guy, he was saying, hey, like when the rapper stopped using, you know, the, the N-word or a nigger or nigger or whatever term you want to use, then I'll stop using it. Like that's, that's another pattern too. What else they'll use, uh, like a victim who's in the entertainment industry. And, you know, they're being compensated to put out certain types of content in the uh, rap genre. But that term predates the rap genre, uh, hip-hop. And to do that to, like, deflect the racism that they're practicing. Another thing I wanted to mention was the, it was, a like, a fraternity video up at uh, Syracuse. And I guess they had suspended the... Of like I guess the fraternity, I think it happened like two weeks ago. But what was interesting was that like their explanation was, well, hey, uh, the the guy who was being, I guess, initiated into the frat, he was going through some kind of ritual, and you know he's this guy, he's a uh, he's a Republican, he's a he's a conservative, and we're asking him to denounce his his racist ways. That's like they didn't exactly say it like that, but I'm paraphrasing. And they make it they made it seem like it was just him that they thought was racist and they made it seem like it was a joke to them. And uh, I have I wanted to share that part on the uh, program. And that's all that I have right now. And thanks for allowing me to share. Historic, the term they used. Historic, another black male going to greater confinement, potentially, with Mr. Cosby. Historic. Uh, other folks, uh, anybody we missed completely? Anybody who has a hand up that we've not heard from? <laughs> Did we get everybody? Anybody that we missed? We got everybody who had a hand up? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, peace, Gus. Peace to everybody listening. This is V from Central New York. I apologize for chiming in so late. I was unfortunately uh, busy, but very quickly in uh, no particular order. Um, I remind everybody who's listening that the lawyer, Gloria Steinem, once worked for the CIA, she used to actually tout this. She used to talk, well, not constantly, but whenever asked about it, she would almost brag that it 
helped her prepare herself for the career in which uh, she now makes her living in. Secondly, connected to Ms. Steinem, uh, I recall Bobby E. Wright, a video that I watched on YouTube where he made a connection between the rise of the women's movement and the decline of the civil rights movement. He suggested that the women's movement was encouraged, for lack of a better word, to draw uh, black females from the civil rights movement into that movement and kind of, uh, I don't wanna use a metaphor, but to definitely fracture the movement. So I keep that in mind when I look at the hashtag Me Too movement in connection to Black Lives Matter, it is, it cannot be coincidental that on uh, the heels, which I think is a metaphor. So, but right after Black Lives Matter began to um, rise in prominence, Me Too came along um, and seemed to almost draw attention away from Black Lives Matter. Um, as in relationship to the Young Turks, I still listen to them a couple of times a week to gauge um, how their overt racism is developing and how their covert racism is also developing. And in one such instance, I think it was either last week or the week before, I heard a clip where the host, uh, Jane Uger, said that he, was not white, that he went, he took one of those genealogical tests and that he was not white. Um, he didn't elaborate on it, but just made that statement and then continued to talk further on something else. Um, but I remind the callers that he, or the listener, excuse me, that he is a son of an immigrant whose parents came to the United States in I believe the 1960s and was able to live a middle-class lifestyle at a time period when Black people were fighting for fair housing in mediocre and sometimes impoverished communities. So if that is not whiteness playing a prominent role um, in their ability to do that, I don't know what that is. And then finally, because Gus included the clip on the Chicago gang database. In the UIC code book, the uh, counter-racist code book, page 211, um, I actually had forgotten about this, but opened the book directly to it. So uh, it reads, when someone tells you that he or she is a gang member, ask him or her the following. One, what is the name of your gang? Two, as a gang member, what are you required or expected to do in each area of activity, beginning, of course, with economics, education, entertainment, and ending with war and counterwar? And then three, as a gang member, what are you required or expected to do in regards to your interactions with me and other non-white people in each area of activity? Um, I believe mainly because of other books that I have read, that 
the gang database predominantly is to foment war within the black community and the non-black community, which spills over into uh, the um, Latino community. And two, it is to track potential leaders within Chicago and either neutralize them or draw them into um, white control. Um, so that that is interesting. And I believe that if you went to any major city in the United States, you'd find similar registries. This one uh, just made it into a ProPublica story. Gus, as always, the work that you are doing is so important. I'm seeing um, people every day who I'm uh, telling to listen to the show. I'm hoping that is helping you out and receiving donations. And um, I would like more information on um, where to get one of those t-shirts, one of those shirts. I'll have to email you about it along with a donation. You have a great, great rest of the weekend and peace to everybody who's listening. Indeed. The <clears throat> email again for people uh, for the counter racist t-shirts, please respect me like I am a white person uh, until justice at gmail.com. Just drop me an email and I can uh, let you know the, the sizes that are left and the whole procedure to make that happen until justice at gmail.com. Anybody that we missed completely, anybody that has a hand up that we've not heard from at all. Did we nab everybody? We didn't miss anybody. Please don't lollygag if you think you have a comment, question that you want to get in before we wrap up. We have uh, less than 30 minutes to go. Uh, so if you think you have something you want to share before we get ready to conclude, go ahead and get your hand up uh, soon. Uh, anybody else that had any additional? Have you heard? May I hurt? Uh, let's get Mally. our, our feet first. Great. Thank you, Mr. Steele. The female who just spoke up, were you going to comment, ma'am? If she doesn't, I I'll, I have something really quick. This is Red in Nevada. I'm going after both of y'all. There we go. Go ahead, Red. Uh -oh. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for allowing me to speak again. And thank you, Ivy and Mr. Steele. Um, I just wanted to quickly say um, just about the Bill Cosby um, situation or the trial. Um, I was also definitely I don't I'm not sure why, but I was definitely um, somewhat uh, depressed by it as well. But just just given now what I understand about the system of racism, white supremacy. But the main thing I wanted to share was that there was an article um, it's from NBCNews.com. The title is Bill Cosby Found Guilty of Sexual Assault and Retrial. But the main thing that really um, drew my focus was one paragraph. I think it's like the, it is the third paragraph in that um, article. And it says, the verdict was one of the first major courtroom victories for the Me Too movement, which has exposed sexual harassment and misconduct in entertainment, media, politics, and beyond. Now, from my understanding, um, and of course my understanding could be flawed because I am a victim, but the Me Too movement was originally started by, well, not originally, the takeover, which I, I call it because it was started by a black female, but the Me Too takeover movement, it was exposing white men and their sexual depravity, but this is supposed to be the first major victory of it, the victory against a black 
a black male. So I just thought that that was, you know, that was telling if anybody wanted to um, read that article. It doesn't say too much, but I felt like that was definitely a way, once again, that these major news articles, these major news corporations, how they say that they have, you know, they're, they're addressing their racism, but, you know, you can still find it. And I think NBC, they have like the NBC Black um, type of, uh, I don't know, affiliation, but still have these type of articles. I'll meet my line. Thank you. Hmm. Appreciate that, Red. Uh, Mr. Steele? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes. Um, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, uh, give uh, an alert to um, the listeners um, and the callers uh, as to a new trend that I'm starting to see amongst victims of racism is that we are starting to, I guess, qualify the victims of racism to see if they are worthy of our, uh, the word I'm hearing used is support. And I'm hearing a lot of uh, just a trend of uh, victims of racism um, vocally expressing their misgivings with another victim of racism uh, who is experiencing uh, a traumatic event. Uh, for example, in this Cosby situation, um, there's always this uh, um, supposition that the liars in the case could be telling the truth and uh, that, you know, Cosby could be guilty. No, he is a victim of racism. This is racism that's being demonstrated uh, against him, that's being practiced against him. And it's the same racism that can uh, that is victimizing every single one of us. And uh, another thing that I'm starting to see is that we are starting to behave a lot like the news media. Um, and whenever a victim of racism comes up, we are, you know, waiting to see uh, what their tweets are, uh, have said. Uh, we're investigating it. Have they been a perfect victim? I just want to let everybody know that there is no such thing as a perfect victim in a system of white supremacy. There is no such thing as a perfect victim. We are all, as Neely Fuller once put it, we've all been turned into monsters and monstrosities just by the very fact that this system exists. So just reserve your judgment when you see a victim being victimized by a racist. And if you don't have anything nice to say, about that victim, or if you don't have anything constructive to say about that victim, don't say anything at all. Um, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and mute my line at this time. Black self-respect. Uh, Ivy, did you have commentary? I do. Uh, great commentary from uh, Mr. Steele. Uh, two quick examples. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Mr. Stefan Clark, who was murdered, um, something about his tweets about saying, you know, negative things about black women and his Asian wife saying negative things about black women. Instead of attacking them, people need to attack the white supremacists if they if they really did say these things because the white supremacists could have actually had their account or anything. That, that doesn't even mean for sure that they even said these things. But if they did, 
people need to attack the white supremacists who conditions all of us to be against black people. Um, another thing that I wanted to say is that um, about the oh, is that right? about trying to take um, about trying to take uh, Mr. Cosby's money away. Like that is something that is such a trend. And even in the Melanoid Nation article that I referenced, where it showed how all these women were caught in all these lies. Um, it talked about that, about them trying to take his money away. And, and the white supremacists have done this in a variety of ways. They've come after uh, Snoop Dogg, um, trying to put, uh, um, charging him with murder. Same thing with Diddy. Uh, same thing with the late, great Michael Jackson, um, charging him with uh, pedophilia and whatever it is that they said he did with children. And then um, they eventually killed him. And... Um, the last thing that I wanted to say is that over 60% of people exonerated for rape are black. Bill Cosby is not guilty. I'll mute my line. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Gus. Context of white supremacy. Yes, sir. Thomas in New York. Yes, um... I theorized several times before in this program that I thought that the attack on Bill Cosby was due to his um, relentless pursuit to own um, pieces of media and um, also own a channel to distribute it. Um, Bill Cosby's estate um, owned several um, white programs, um, old black and white shows, Abbott and Costello, um, it's a whole list of them. The Three Stooges. Um, he owns the publishing rights to those those things. Um, enough stuff that he could own a channel and run syndicated shows all day and make plenty of money. This is one of the things that um, these people do to us when we try to own things. And um, one of the telltales that I think um, proved the theory was the fact that the same week he went in, as someone alluded earlier, Meek Mills, a rapper, um, gets out. Now, um, Bill Cosby fell out of favor with people he was in favor with. How? Um, no one was in his corner. No one came to his defense. Um, look how people rallied behind Meek Mills and got those white people um, in their corner. I mean, everyone from Jay-Z, um, Beyonce, um, a whole bunch of black entertainers who are backed by a lot of white wealth made a big deal, a big fuss about the injustice, because a definite injustice. I mean, he was popping the wheelie on a motorcycle. Um, he had complied. I mean, I, I won't say that he deserves to go be in prison. However, what I'm saying is um, Bill Cosby fell out of favor with those white people. That's not by something he did. That was by uh, some backdoor meetings they had with each other, saying, listen, you're not supporting Bill on this one. you got to go. Um, that this came from big power. This guy has been in the industry for all these years. How many white people did you see jump up and come to his defense? Um, you didn't see Robbie Kraft come to his defense. Um, the owner of the 76ers come to his defense because they make a lot of money off of that entertainment industry and those artists who were in his corner. So I think that um, what happened to Bill was by design, um, and I don't think he did it for that point even though they had so many women come out against him, even though I know that, you know, this was a 
a drug um, industry. He, um, in my opinion, he, he got set up um, years ago, and he came back to get him. Um, so I think that was a great observation. Another great observation was on the, the feminist movement coming up behind the Black Lives Matter. See, those two things are one and the same. Those are both hashtags. Those aren't organic movements. The women are, I heard very commenting, the women who created, the black women who created the Me Too hashtag created it due to a black on black domestic violence. She was, it had nothing to do with feminism or uh, white women uh, being molested by white men and black men. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with um, regular domestic violence between um, black men due to the frustrations of white supremacy, them taking it out on their woman and trying to fix that problem to help women in that situation get away. And um, the way they coerced this movement and hashtagged it and made it into this large movement of women, it should let you know right away that this has nothing to do with black people. Um, just like um, Black Lives Matter, another hashtag on Facebook, all of a sudden it becomes a national movement that has nothing to do with black people. Anytime something gets that type of promotion, there's nobody behind it but white people because they own the media, both social and regular. Um, Last thing, Gus, I'm going to be real quick. I played a clip earlier about um, the soldiers being more robotic and automated. Um, predictive policing is already here. It's being used in California cities. Um, it's, it's, it's being perfected. Um, it's being rolled out in Chicago. It's being rolled out in Philadelphia. It's, it's going to be everywhere. So um, be aware of that. It's already in China. Look how well it's working there. Um, and... Um, yeah, that's all I want to say. Thank you. Appreciate that, Thomas, in New York. I think uh, in your corner and backdoor metaphors, just prompted about those. Uh, I did uh, also quickly want to get in. Uh, one, I cannot believe we got almost completely through the broadcast and did not get one comment or word about the penis transplant that we began the broadcast with. I just thought that was important. Uh -huh. The way that I processed that segment, maybe people didn't hear it, but the way that I processed that, uh, processed that segment, that was the first clip that we uh, played this evening. Uh, the way that I processed it uh, was similar to all of the attention where they've been talking about some of the problems that they've had at some of the fertility clinics, where some of the eggs might have been compromised, all of this around uh, white fertility issues uh, and their genital issues. That's the way that I process that uh, segment. Uh, and particularly given what we heard this week, the Cosby conviction coming this week and uh, the lynching museum and, you know, free, the frequency uh, of those lynchings being associated, even the, the lies and what have you around it about a, a black person did something to a white woman and the castrations. It just it struck me as being almost impossible to imagine that the person to receive this first uh, they said full penis and scrotum transplant where the sexual functionality of the unit will be fully restored. I could not imagine a black person getting that operation, but I just couldn't believe we got all the way through with no comment. I'm sure Dr. Welsing would have even had uh, something to say about that. Uh, the other thing, someone emailed me and they asked if I've had a bad experience with alcohol or cannabis or another drug. I don't know if they, they wrote that since we came on the air. I don't know if that was prompted by maybe a newer listener hearing me say something about sobriety would be best. Uh, I don't even know if alcohol came up on the broadcast, 
uh, the most recent experience that I can, th- bad experience, that was the question that was asked, the most recent bad experience that I've had with alcohol, drugs, any narcotic substance, I was sober. I was with a non-white person who was not sober and it was horrendous. That is the most recent bad experience that I can think of with any sort of narcotic. I'm generally pretty uh, prudish, so I don't, you know, do a lot of, I'm not, I mean, that's just, you know, I'm pretty prudish. I'm a victim of white supremacy, so I don't do a lot of that stuff and partying and clubbing. That's not my thing. So, you know, I would not personally, uh, it would be difficult for me to remember the last time that I've had uh, an experience, a bad experience uh, with alcohol, drugs, any of the like. The most recent one that I can remember, I was sober. I was with a non-white person who was not sober and it was a horrendous experience uh, where I said about every five minutes, sobriety would be best, sobriety would be best, sobriety would be best. Anybody else have uh, commentary? Anybody else? Yes. Uh, Let's see. Uh, We'll get the... I uh, can't recognize the voices. Big victim, or is that one of the folks who spoke up? Yeah, that was me. Yes. I, you want me to go or you want me to wait there? Let's hear from you because I recognize the voice. Uh, um, is IV still on the line? I am. Um, yes, IV, I want to ask you a question. Since you're a young person, do you believe the earth is flat? No, I think it's round. Oh, okay. I've been doing some research on flat earthers. And, uh, I mean, is it, is it flat? I just, you know, with, with my kind of races and uh, studies, you know, I just, if you, if with me, if you believe in racism, white supremacy, now I'm talking about me, you got to question everything that, I, I question everything that I've been taught. So I've just, been, I've, just been doing, I've just been doing that on the side, just going back, you know, I just I just believe, you know, a lot of young people that I ask that question, they say they say they believe in a flat earth. So I just wanted to ask get get your opinion on that. Thank you. Yes, sir. The other caller who spoke up simultaneously. Did you have commentary? Uh, yes. Uh, I apologize. This is V from um, Central New York. Um, I missed the opening clip. I missed about ten minutes of the uh, beginning of the show. You missed so the I penis transplant. Question. <laughs> I um, did, was the uh, was the transplant from a black male or was I it from a white See, I, I should have done more research because I was intrigued and I heard, I listened. I should have done more research. I was thinking the same thing. Did they get this penis from a black male? Like medical apartheid. We did all that talking about organ trend. Like, is that possible? Like, oh my, whew. I should have done more well, research. Well, what is incredible about this is I, I didn't hear about it until midway of uh, through the week. And it was on a local radio station. We basically have um, all of these white morning shows and then there's one black morning show, which I can't stand because it's just incredible, incredibly racist all the time. So I listened to one of the other shows and they were talking about it 
And they made a very interesting statement about the um, transplant recipient. Um, the white woman in the room said, well, if he got a black penis, then that would obviously be a trade up. And every male in the room, all of them white, said, yes, it would be. And I thought immediately of uh, Dr. Welsing, could not believe it. Um, and they talked about it for about a good 10 minutes. So that's why I was wondering that. I am not surprised. I thought that's why I played the clip. I, I wasn't thinking of anything raunchy. I wasn't thinking of Dr. Carolyn West and pornography and racism. I thought of Dr. Francis Cress Welsing and white genetic annihilation. I also thought of medical apartheid. Like, seriously, I thought, is that now possible that you can go and snatch the penis off of a corpse of someone who's deceased the same way you would a kidney or whatever else? Can you snatch a penis and the scrotum because it was penis and scrotum? Can you do that now? Like, wow, that's woo, the system of white supremacy. Well, thank you very much. That just, I'm glad you brought that up because I had completely forgotten about it. I wanted to say something. Thank you. For sure. Mavi Heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, just real quick, Brett, again, I, I actually didn't hear the first segment, but I was look, looking it up as you were talking about it, as y'all were talking about it. But it said that the first, the very first, um, just the, I guess, the penis um, transplant, this is on BBC, on the BBC website. It said it, it, ha it took place in South Africa, which I thought was really interesting. But just all the different articles, um, it's not saying, I looked at like about three of them. All it's saying is that the donor or the donor's family was grateful that they could help out like this, this soldier. But it does not say how, like, if it was, if the person is still alive or, or why this happened. And I was thinking, well, is this maybe because the person didn't want their penis anymore since there's all this different sexual confusion. So I, I was definitely thinking the same thing. And I'll meet my line. Thank you. I thought they said the donor was deceased. I have to go back and double check that. I thought they said that the penis donor was deceased, but yes, sir. We can hear you. George Washington Carver deserved the penis transplant. Oh, the memory. Great memory. Um, yes, and I wouldn't just say something that Big Victim said that a lot of people um, would look at and think it's crazy, but um, when I, I did look into the flat earth theory, and I, I, I find a lot of validity in it, but what it did for me, and that was counter-racist in my opinion, and uh, I offer VGQ, is it made me start questioning all of the things that white people have that they call theory. And um, from looking at the flat earth, they pretty much proved that the theory of relativity is not true and the theory of gravity is not true. So what it should bring you into is questioning all these um, theories that they have in particular, and I say VGQ here, the outer Africa theory, which under the flat earth construct is completely false. Um, and I'll meet my line thinking. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir, retired firefighter. Yes, I was just going to briefly uh, comment on uh, Big Victim's uh, uh, research. And uh, I have to qualify because the uh, retired firefighter is slightly retarded. Uh, but from my uh, readings, uh, from the historical scientific standpoint, uh, uh, white people in the representation of uh, Christopher Columbus, uh, they assumed that the earth was flat. 
but as uh, Mr. Columbus was uh, being contracted out to go beyond their tidy abode uh, called Europe, they actually received the plans to come to this part of the world by non-white people. Uh, uh, being that I spent a lot of my lifetime in the South Florida area, uh, if you put a log on the west coast of Africa, it will float right into the Florida Straits eventually. They chart hurricanes, and, and I'm pretty sure most of the people on the, on the uh, line would know that there's a lot of hurricanes uh, that happens in this area of the world. They chart them from the west coast of Africa. And uh, these are just indications of the, uh, the earth being a spherical uh, uh, object as opposed to a flat one. And that understanding came from non-white people who are racially classified as black as being the first earth travelers. Thank you. So you're saying, so, um, Firefly, you're saying that the, the, the earth is a, a globe? I said spherical, as in round. That, 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 came, that actually came from non-white people. White people, uh, before uh, uh, Christopher Columbus uh, went to travel, they thought that, that the earth was flat. Because during that time, they really hadn't did, any, did that much traveling outside of their uh, little small area called Europe. They haven't did that much traveling. Uh, and the, uh, by, by that time, non-white people had uh, ventured all over the world. Uh, the first inhabitants of this part of the world were non-white people. That came from Africa. A lot of them came from Africa uh, in the, on ships. Uh, there is research on that with Ivan Surma. Uh, the book, I, I believe the book is called They Came Before Columbus. And uh, that's the, I think that's the title of it. If you get that book, it would, it would uh, give you some education more on the subject. They Came Before Columbus. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Plus, do you have three X t-shirts? I don't know. I will have to check. If you have three X or two extra long tall, I, I would definitely, um, um, you know, I usually get a three X to compensate because they come a little longer because I'm tall. And uh, if you could facilitate a way that I could contact the firefighter, uh, either via email or phone, I would love that, sir. Oh, yeah. That's pretty easy. I think we can knock that down. Uh, what was that? He wanted me to get your contact information. I guess if you want to give it to him now, that's fine. Sure, sure. Right on. I, 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 I've been... Get some work. <laughs> oh, you want, me, you want me to give it now? If, you, if you're comfortable with that, that's fine. If not, I can, you know, do oh, it I, I have no problem with that because uh, I don't have any power for them to stop them from hurting me anyway. So, Mike Limani... I-M-A-N-I-M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Michael Imani at BellSouth.net. And then from there, I give you uh, more personal information. 
Got you, sir. Thank you very much. Grand. I'm open 24-7. <laughs> As am I. I'll give you my information via email, sir. Grand. Uh, I still try and facilitate that as I'm able. Uh, for Well, they're actually not in the same area, but certainly if you're in the same uh, space, like, you know, we have listeners in Alabama and, you know, lots of different spots all over the globe, flat or round. Uh, if you're interested in networking, conversing, even if it's just, you know, an email conversation or, you know, FaceTime, whatever. Uh, you can drop me an email, let me know where you are. And if there are other people that are interested in communicating in your area, uh, I can put you in touch, try to do that, help out so that people can exchange views. I think that's helpful within the system. Uh, we will be here this week. I will make time so that I can do the program by myself to explain what happened at the yoga class, because that certainly was important and highlights uh, things can in the system of racism, white supremacy. I mean, three seconds. It could be wow, this is going to change the rest of my life. And, you know, we could be making, again, as I said before, we could be talking about uh, life and death decisions that have to be made quickly. Uh, so that will be coming up this week. And I think we'll have guests uh, on the program as well, uh, just getting things organized and still dealing with fallout from the flood, unfortunately. Uh, but check the schedule at Black Talk Radio Network. The Facebook page, uh, things will be updated. We are starting the Invisible Man. That was one that I forgot about. Jack Johnson that was mentioned. Uh, the Battle Royal. Uh, they talked about that he might have began his career in pugilism as a young uh, black child entertaining racists by fighting and beating up on uh, other black children. Uh, and that is the very first scene in Ralph Ellison's The Invisible Man. And I think unless something really, really wacky happens between now and like Wednesday, I'm very certain that is going to be our book. And that book is in my top five, uh, along with Medical Apartheid, the ISIS papers, uh, the warmth of other suns, uh, some of the books that I've talked about, uh, bragged about, The Bluest Eye for years. The Invisible Man is on that list as well. Top five, one of my all time favorites. Wow, will be a treat to read it in its entirety on the broadcast starting this Friday. Uh, but if you have other questions, gripes, complaints, uh, guest suggestions, you can drop an email uh, until justice at gmail.com. I will check on the show. I think, uh, Trav, if you see the post, if folks that follow me on Facebook, I think you can see the shirt sizes that are available. If you look at that post, I think it was Monday or Tuesday on my Facebook page. Uh, he lists all of the shirt sizes that are left. I just have to go back and, and look at it really quick to see all of the sizes and the number of shirts. But you can go there if you you know want to see what sizes we have uh, available. I think the shirts, I don't even remember how they run exactly because mine is substantially too large now with my weight loss. So I can't even really give you a good gauge on if they run a little small or a little large. Uh, really, I need a new one myself so I can get one that fits a little better. Uh, the listener requested uh, information on the situation in Oklahoma, or actually their request was for a few moments of silence, which we can honor as we conclude, but uh, just information, because I suspect I am not the only one who just heard about this uh, situation uh, for charged in connection to double murder bodies found dismembered in OKC Pond. Uh, four people are now facing multiple charges in connection to the murder of two men. Their bodies found last week in a metro pond and court documents say the bodies were dismembered. 
Brett Boatler, 16, was charged in Cleveland County this week with two counts of second-degree murder, unlawful removal of a dead body, and desecration of a corpse, as well as a felony firearm possession charge. Uh, Boatler's brother, 22-year-old Kevin Garcia Boatler, was also charged Wednesday with felony accessory to second-degree murder and unlawful removal of a dead body. The two were arrested April 17th at a property on Oklahoma City's northeast side after attempting to flee the area along with their mother and her boyfriend. Police had traced Brett Boatler's phone to the location after finding communication between Boatler and 21-year-old Elise Raymond Smith, whose body was found in a pond on the Sooner Road property, along with the body of 21-year-old Jerron Moreland, according to an affidavit filed in Cleveland County on April 25th. Uh, And they have photographs of the victims and more information. There's more details in the report. The only thing that I'll point out, uh, the photo that they use uh, of the victims, it's kind of Typical, we've talked about that before, where they don't get the photographs. I remember there's a white person that got killed by the police, and they had a photograph of them with like a chemistry set and looking really, really smart and intelligent, like they're going to be the next nuclear physicist. They generally don't pick those sort of photographs for black people. At any rate, uh, I'll post it on Facebook, or I already posted it on Facebook. I'll post it on Twitter as well so that people can uh, check out this report, reminding me very much of the delectable Negro. Uh, And we'll take uh, the 10 seconds as we conclude Uh, with that. Again, since the person did write in and ask me about it, sobriety would be best. Uh, I think that will help you minimize or totally eliminate having bad experiences with alcohol or any other drugs. We have enough bad experiences just trying to get silverware at the Waffle House or to eat a meal without the restaurant being shot up. We do not need alcohol, drugs in the equation to further contribute to us having unnecessary and easily avoidable bad experiences. I think Dr. Welsing and many others would strongly encourage, let's be sober, let's take excellent care of our bodies, our brain computers, so that we can create solutions to permanently solve the problem Whites, racist man, racist woman, racist child. That said, uh, I certainly would encourage folks, if you're going to be out and about, uh, buckle up and be sober. If you're in a vehicle, driver or passenger, let's do everything we can to minimize contact with race soldiers. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately and we will take our 10 seconds uh jerron Keontae moreland alice ramon smith all victims of white supremacy racism
Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. I'm a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.